Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Thursday evening, 6 o'clock. That means it's time for an all-new Southern Sports Central. I'm Richie Alden alongside the coach Eugene Benton. We're here bringing you three solid hours. We've got about four guests that are going to join us tonight, of course, at 6.30, as always, on a Thursday evening. Jay Williams from the South Carolina Youth Football Association. The commissioner will join us at 6.30 to tell us what's going on with the young guys. And if I'm not mistaken, they've got a handful of things that are happening right now around not only uh, Somerville, but around Uh, the state of South Carolina, because they are starting to gear up. They're getting into different stages, and uh, things are definitely happening uh, with the young guys and the girls because the cheerleaders are cheering and getting their stuff together. Of course, there could be a few ladies out there on the football field as well, so we don't want to just isolate the fellas or not talk about the ladies because they are all going to make it happen uh, here, hopefully, in this uh, upcoming season for the uh, South Carolina Youth Football Association and the Satoma Club over there. Uh, here in uh, Charleston, of course, we will be covering a game of the week at local high schools. And uh, Eugene, myself, and someone yet to be named will, of course, uh, be out on the field. And, of course, myself and, and maybe Eugene will depend where he wants to be. Maybe he wants to be running the sidelines and uh, interviewing and catching up with the referees uh, through the game. But we'll, of course, uh, have that game every Saturday night right here on Southern Sports Central. We'll also highlight a student athlete. That's right, student athlete from this league. On Thursdays, we'll have a cheerleader and a football player uh, that we'll have on the show as well. So a lot going on with them. Then, 7 o'clock, we bring him back from Charlotte, and that is uh, Mr. Reginald Walker Jr. Excuse me, He will be coming in uh, to kind of talk a little bit more about some of the stuff we ran out of time last week. He's uh, going to be in here with us for 30 minutes. Of course, uh, some of the big headlines uh, is what's going on right now in the state of Mississippi. You've got two great coaches, uh, one at Ole Miss, one at Mississippi State, and they are really trying to put – uh, an emphasis on getting some things, uh, I, I'd say, changed there in the state of Mississippi. Of course, uh, their flag, the Mississippi State flag, is the only flag left that has the remnants of uh, the Confederacy on it. So they're trying to, of course, work together. Lane Kiffin, of course, uh, and, um, of course, the other uh, big name over there at uh, Mississippi State. And uh, these guys are trying to do what they can to get things moved because there are football players right now that are saying, look, we're not going to play unless you get this thing done. And they're using the momentum from around the country to get some things done locally and around their state. And Mike Leach, of course, is that coach at Mississippi State who uh, he also has a very powerful voice. Uh, both of these two guys are very uh, open when it comes to conversation. They're not camera shy, nor are they 
uh, interview shy. So I can imagine this could be uh, a pretty quick fast-forward deal, and we should see some changes there in the state of Mississippi uh, pretty quick. Also, a couple of other things that we'll get into. Baseball looks like they're ready to go, and there's some other things that have come out since then that we'll get in here with Reginald as well. Then at 7.30, this is an interview that I think a lot of you guys are looking forward to, and that's Mr. Austin Sylvie. He, of course, uh, is going to come in here from the Evening Sports page. He released a few rankings recently in the last couple of days, and uh, he had some positive and he had a few not-so-positive interactions on social media with a few coaches and uh, some players that didn't like what they saw. But we'll talk to him. We're going to find out from, of course, uh, this individual why – Austin picked the guys he picked. And, again, I think it's fair to give him a voice, to give him an opportunity to describe his layout, his format of how he goes about getting the kids he got. Again, these guys, believe it or not, watch a lot of games. You know, this is what they do. They watch a lot of things. They don't base their picks by their team records, all right, because it's an individual stat, right? This is something that they go individually and look at certain guys. So a guy could go undefeated and, and may not even be on this list because, quite frankly, the quarterback may be good, but it's the running back, the receivers, the linebackers that, that are really the part of that team that makes them the powerhouse they are. The quarterback's just kind of one of those guys that is a little bit of that glue that keeps it all together. So we'll get in there with Austin. We'll break down the uh, areas that he was able to put out the selection. Of course, he did the low country, the PD, the Midlands, and the upstate. So all four of those areas will have some conversation for about 30 minutes. And then at 8 o'clock, we uh, head to uh, a former Clemson Tiger, a former – Tennessee Titan. He started his days uh, in Lourdes. He was a lion over there on the uh, Grand Strand uh, with the Lourdes Lions. And we're talking about Tig Willard, who now is with Chip Canassi Racing. Uh, he is in the pit crew there with Chip Canassi's teams. He has uh, the truck series, the what I used to call the Bush series, and then the big boys, right, the big top guys. And uh, he is in all three circuits there. And uh, we'll have that conversation with the big man, who, by the way, he was part of that 2008 class, and if you guys remember, 2008, boy, South Carolina was stacked and packed and rolling out some five-star dudes. A.J. Green was a part of that class. Uh, of course, Wade mentioned Tate Willow was a part of that class. I want to say Alshon Jeffries was around in that era. Um, Stephon Gilmore, you can name it. They had it, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, it, it was a very impressive class. And this gentleman decides, hey, I'm playing football two years in the Titans, but I really want to jump in to the pit crew at NASCAR, and he's done that. And, uh, of course, um, being an African-American and working in the pit area in NASCAR, he's been there for quite some time. I figured let's bring him in here. Let's have this conversation with him. And uh, I also want to hear about his journey from going in from high school to college to the pros and now doing it at a professional level but doing it completely different. And I bet you he'll go back to some of what he learned in high school through college and with the Titans is what gets him through the pits of NASCAR because uh, you think those guys have it easy? Trust and believe me, those are really – uh, some of the big athletes there on that circuit. So uh, I will bring in Eugene now. Eugene, of course, uh, it is finally not raining in the afternoon here. We've had rain. Uh, it seems like the last couple of days with some big thunderstorms have come through, but yet, don't speak too fast, but it's been a hot one today, but at least it's been sunny. Well, I got into a good set of storms coming back from Owendale and Mount Pleasant, but uh, it's nice and sunny now. It looks like things are drying out. I uh, haven't, been out, haven't had a chance to go outside and check on my plants. I'm sure I got it few vegetables that are underwater that I'll need to dump out the pot, so we'll get to that about 9.15 when, when the show is over. Right now, just kind of locked and loaded, ready to get this thing kicked off. Looking forward to some good friends joining us on the radio tonight. And, uh, you know, we, we had a good day. Been a, a good day training with the guys, with the kickers and stuff. Uh, some rankings came out. I know some guys were 
little disappointed in their rankings, and nobody really moved down in the star rankings, but, you know, the pools got bigger, and, you know, and, and I told them, use this as a motivation. You got, you know, a big national competition coming up in July. You know, what you do between now and July might determine a different a different uh, spot on that list for you. Um, but, you know, it's really up to them, really up to the work they put in. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's been a productive week uh, on the on the field, training with those guys and some others. And, uh, you know, you're talking about the youth league coming on. And I uh, have a, a youth league guy that's been training with me, one of the guys from the Ashley Ridge program. And one of the Ashley Ridge youth uh, coaches actually came out to watch you know, this young man kicked some balls and was impressed with what was going on and took some pictures. And, you know, we talked about the youth league and what Ashley Ridge has got going on. It sounds pretty exciting. So, you know, really interested in hearing uh, the update from Jay and, and see what they're doing and see, you know, if they have any changes in store or, you know, kind of get the goings on and, and where where things are progressing with him in the league. Yeah, no doubt about it. Of course, now the Satoma League uh, is uh, one of the youth programs here in Somerville, and I got to give it to the guys who put that league together over there as well. Now, that's the Monday through Friday games, I believe, uh, that uh, are a little bit different than what Jay and those guys are doing, but we'll get some clarification with Jay at 630. But uh, I was out there yesterday. My young one is actually going to be playing uh, coming up in the fall, but he was out. Was supposed to be out there. Uh, he had a family situation with his mom's side, so they were gone, and uh, – I went out there to kind of see what was going on, and uh, it was uh, a packed house. And as I was pulling up, here comes Fort Dorchester's head football coach, Steve LaPrade, comes out to talk to these young men. And there was about 150 kids out there, it looked like. Maybe not that many, but I swear, when you get that many kids in one location, it just looks like they're hoarding cats at one point just trying to round them up. But uh, they actually were very well disciplined. They were in their drills, doing their thing, socially distanced. Uh, coach LaPrade shows up. I guess, you know, he wanted to – have that opportunity to speak to what could be some of the future Patriots coming up through the system and uh, talked about a lot of the former players that played at Fort, that played on the same fields. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, connection. I heard the night before Somerville's coach was up there, Ian Rafferty. Now, Ian, of course, did play on those same fields before he played at Somerville, then goes into NC State. He also played for the Tennessee Titans before he came back to Fort Dorchester and now here at Somerville as the head football coach. And uh, how about Ashley Ridge's coach? was out there on Tuesday night. So he did his speech on Tuesday night. So uh, he's the newest blood in town when it comes to coming in and introducing himself. He brought a few of his players with him. Uh, I thought that was interesting. He had some of his players with their jerseys on. I saw uh, Ian Rafferty, the coach of Somerville, had his daughter with him. And, uh, of course, um, uh, Kirsten Pratt brought Miss Beth with him, the first lady over there of the Fort Dorchester Patriots uh, was with him. So uh, you see a lot of that. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the guys that are coaching that have been on the show uh, from Fort Dorchester, Ashley Ridge, and uh, Somerville. I believe they were actually the guys out there on Monday night. So they're really doing a great job introducing the concept from, you know, why there is not going to be a middle school team. There is a process. There is a filter, a feeding system, if you will, to go through Satoma, to go through some of this, this competitive football, make your way into the B team. Now, B team is going to be 7th and 8th graders now. And then the JV will be, I guess, ninth and 10th, seniors, 11th and 12th. Again, if you're really good as a seventh grade, I'm sure they'll play you at the senior level. But uh, that's kind of the format, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken there. So uh, there is a lot of unity working through what's going on, and I love this. I can also tell you over there uh, the, uh, at the Gahagan ball field, we've partnered up. And as you may have heard or may not seen on social media, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock right here on Southern Sports Central, we are going to host a home run derby right here with three high schools in the Dorchester County area. 
Somerville, Fort Dorchester, and Ashley Ridge. They'll have their seniors come out. And it's a total of 14 ball players. I'm not sure how it works out in the cutting piece there. But total of 14 kids, three schools, one field and one trophy. And in about three hours, we'll find out who is going to take home that hardware and become the uh, – hopefully this is something annually that we'll do. But we're very uh, excited to be a part of this. We're excited to be uh, the, uh, the broadcast of this huge opportunity to bring these young individuals together to play home run derby because, again, remember, their season was cut short. And uh, this gives them one final time to wear their jerseys, to be a part of something special. Uh, Eugene is actually going to be the guy down on the field, running around with his head cut off, doing some interviews uh, after they're done swinging some bats. Jay Harper, a uh, very well-known guy here with uh, the Charleston area. He's been part of the uh, ESPN crew, uh, Kirkman Broadcasting, for a long time. He now, by the way, uh, I don't know if you know Eugene or not, but Jay Harper is, uh, is traveling with the uh, Harlem Globetrotters. So he's one of the guys that you hear on the PA. He's like their PA guy. And uh, so but he's going to join us tomorrow night. And that's kind of a feather in the cap, getting a, a pioneer into the, uh, to the industry to come here and be a part of what we're going to do tomorrow night. I think you'll see uh, a few other coaches uh, from football probably stop by, talk to Joe Call today. And uh, I think Coach Call could pop up out there and uh, root for some of the kids that he's watched grow up from way back when, not just at Somerville, but he knows the kids at Ashley Ridge and Fort Dorchester as well. So I think that's the biggest picture. And I invite you to come out to Gahagan. You can download uh, you know, the show on your phone, so you can go to the Internet and listen to us live while you're sitting there with a little earbud in. And uh, if you're at home or you're around the country, you can listen to Home Run Derby. And, of course, we'll download the whole famous, uh, you know, back, 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 back on. And uh, it should be a, a good one. But I really applaud the uh, the city of Somerville over Gahagan, the recreation department there, for doing what they're doing. Yeah, and that's a good thing is just, like I said, you even for graduations and other events, man, the town of Somerville City has really gone over and beyond and done all they could for these uh, 2020 seniors. This is a heck of a way to give those chance to, and a creative way to give those kids a chance to put on those jerseys, hit some balls in front of a crowd, you know, wave at mamas and daddies and grandmas and things like that and kind of take a bow. You know, hands, hands down, man, just awesome, awesome, awesome by the town of Somerville. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, of course, uh, if you are looking to do something like that, because I've seen social media blow up and some challenges across the river over there in Mount Pleasant have been thrown out uh, to say, hey, look, why don't we get a few of our schools in our area to do it? If you do get it together, reach out to you, uh, myself or Eugene, and we'll broadcast it right here on Southern Sports Central. We'd love to kind of keep it going. And, again, ladies, hey, I've seen some of the girls hitting some softballs in the, pre- in the, post- in the preseason, excuse me, and during – uh, the early part of the year at Somerville and, and uh, some of the other schools around uh, Fort Dorchester had a very impressive uh, group of young ladies that were just driving it out of the park as well. Maybe there's something that you ladies can do. So uh, we love to be a part of the process here in the young town of uh, you know Somerville, Fort Dorchester, all the way to uh, Oceanside. You've got Wando, James Island, Goose Creek. I don't want to start naming too many because I don't want to forget anybody, but I think it's important that what we're doing is we're going to at least give these young individuals one final opportunity. And why not go out and get the, the, the triangle of robberies. So again, if you're listening and you're at Stratford, go get Goose Creek and, and I guess maybe Kane Bay, but then where does Berkeley come in? Maybe you do kind of a full horseman deal and bring Berkeley into the conversation and you get four out of each school and you kind of have at it. If you're a Wando, you go get Lucy Beckham, maybe, and that would be a good one. Maybe Bishop England and Oceanside, right? That would work out. And then, of course, uh, you got to pick up the, the, the ball over there with uh, maybe Hannah Hand, James Island, 
and uh, West Ashley, and you can get Stahl involved, I, I guess. So, you know, there is opportunities, and we'd love to be a part of it here on Southern Sports Central, of course, tomorrow night, 6 o'clock. That's airtime. The first pitch hopefully is around 6.05, so we'll get you nice and comfortable for about three or four minutes, and then we're going to be uh, broadcasting live right over there at Gahagan Park uh, in Somerville. If you're uh, in the area, go over and hang out and check it out. It should be a good time. I'm not sure if they'll open the concessions or not, but they will open up the opportunity to watch some of our local talent. And a lot of these young men are going to the University of South Carolina, going to Limestone, going to Coastal, going to College of Charleston. There's a lot of talent that you'll see tomorrow night on the ball field. And a lot of these kids, uh, given the right situation, easily, easily could have um, possibly gotten drafted had the season ended a little different there, Eugene, because if you think about it, man, that, that changed a lot of formats. And that's something here uh, that we'll get into a little bit tonight. But Earlier today, by the way, the high school league did come out and have a meeting. And, uh, Eugene, did you have a chance to kind of catch up on some of that throughout the day? Yeah, I did. And so, basically, instead of going – there are a couple things. Instead of going to phase two, um, they're going to go to phase 1.5. Uh, 1.5 is going to look like phase one. However, uh, it looks like they were going to, one, leave it up to the districts to decide if there's going to be – uh, practice and I know Greenville, uh, I believe Greenville and then maybe Ori, but I know Greenville has said no, um, no more activities for for a little bit. They're gonna let things chill out and see what happens. But the other, the, the one of the the big aspects of 1.5 is you know the things like the mask and things like that that were recommendations are now going to be enforced as a rule. Um, they're going to ask people to police themselves and police each other. Now, you know, the policing themselves, I'm, I'm kind of down with. The policing each other, boy, I, I just really feel like that that's going to cause some problems. Um, you know, if, if someone decides to ride by a rival school and the kid's getting out of a car and doesn't have a mask on yet, you know, it, it could just really lead up to certain things. I'm just not really down with the whole policing each other thing. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. And the high school league has their ruling, and, and those who are in the high school league, you know, have to abide by the rules whether they like them or not. Now, they did say that they're going to take it up for some more voting um, and things like that. But, uh, you know, as, as of now, it looks like 1.5 is going to be mandatory uh, things like mask, mandatory small groups. So basically they turned the recommendations into rules, uh, at least temporarily, and that um, if anybody gets caught violating a rule, it's basically considered an illegal practice. And, uh, I think someone mentioned I caught I thought I caught the tail end of, or I couldn't hear it cor- uh, correctly, so I asked someone afterwards, and the person relayed to me that it was going to be a, uh, a immediate five hundred dollar fine for an illegal practice and any other uh, remedies the high school league sees fit. So uh, that's kind of the gist of what came out of it. There's a lot of unknowns um, and a lot of you know we're still sitting and waiting. I know the high school league feels like they don't want to make a lot of decisions because of fear of lawsuits. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens uh, going forward once these uh, new rule or new um, recommendations, you know, become hard and fast rules. Yeah, no doubt about it. Of course, uh, some news. We talk about Bethune-Cookman a lot of times. Of course, I'm a huge promoter of all colleges across the country, and why not uh, push every opportunity to get a young athlete on a playing surface? And HBCUs give you that opportunity. Now, we always – Talk about Bethune-Cookman down there in uh, Daytona, Florida. This coming out sometime around 512 earlier, uh, just about an hour ago, uh, Bethune-Cookman will be uh, become the 12th member of the SWAC. Of course, that's the uh, uh, team that has uh, been doing uh, some, some big things 
but this is a team that has been in the MEAC for quite some time, and this is just another hit on the MEAC. You wonder, uh, are you going to start to see the MEAC start to kind of dissipate a little bit? So while there is no football, there is a lot of conversation about football. There's a lot of moves being made behind doors and conversations that need to be heard because there is going to be a lot of uncertainty right now when it comes to is there a season or is there not a season. I mean, you even saw, and I'm going to tell you something that I'm really proud of, and, and I'm becoming more and more of a Tennessee Volunteer fan every day because I watch what they do, and when you hear these young athletes make these comments about how things are going and why they like Tennessee, it, it just kind of says, okay, cool. Jeremy Pruitt, you get it. Well, Philip Fulmer used to be the coach, remember, back not too long ago, and he actually won a national championship with Tennessee back in his days. He had a guy named, well, you've heard of Peyton Manning, right? Well, he's now uh, a, a man that plays a very major role over there. He's the former head coach, current director of athletics at Tennessee. And uh, he went on Twitter and said, everybody keeps asking me if we're going to be playing football with fans this season. Truth is, ball fans, statewide can help determine that outcome. From now through kickoff, masks are a must. He went on to say, first, obtain a mask. Two, wear the mask every time you go out. Three, slow the spread. And four, be at Neyland Stadium September 5th. Now, last night also, I got this sent to me, and I put it out there on social media. I thought it was a huge, huge hit because when you get a young man, an athlete that wants to go out on social media and say, look, I want to play my senior year, I want to share that because I think that doesn't get any more heartfelt than this. And it was just uh, on the 24th, J.J. Jones, of course, you guys remember the wide receiver Myrtle Beach committed to North Carolina, says, please wear your mask while in public and continue to practice social distancing. And he's saying this with a lot of emphasis. If you want high school football to resume, we need to stop the spread of COVID-19. Guys, he's right. It's up to us. And only one you need to worry about is the one you look in the mirror and see every day, and that's yourself. I know it's hot. I get it's hard to breathe. Maybe you don't need to go down the street as much as you used to. Maybe you don't need to travel as much as you did. Maybe you should pre-plan your visits to the grocery store a little bit more. But the one thing, but the one thing I'm going to tell you is this, and I'm going to say this to you real quickly. If we don't change what's happening today, we will definitely change what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't have to agree that COVID-19 is a real deal. That's up to you. But the statistics are this, that. As long as hospitals are still being filled up with them, as long as the beds are starting to kind of find, well, lack of in certain places, it is what it is. And as long as people are dying, and I mean one person, that's all I need to believe in it, then guess what? It's a problem. So we have got to do our part. And we've got to do our part for those who, of course, not just the athletes, not just the students, but the seniors and anybody else, because there are young kids who are, of course, you know, privy to, to having health issues that could easily get this. You know, I saw a report that a, a local convenience store, there's two of them, the entire staff at both locations have now positively tested for COVID-19. What does that mean? How many people go in a grocery store, convenience store, and may or may not practice that social distance? It's a real deal, guys, and I'm going to be honest with you. I understand that some people want to say certain things, but the best advice I'm going to give you, there's some things that you can talk about. There's some things that you need to be careful how you say things, and there's some things you just need to kind of say, okay, and let it keep moving. But I'm going to tell you this. There's a lot of people right now that are very worried that football will not happen. Now, we can be positive. Paul's all we want to be. But the reality part, as long as this thing is skyrocketing into the wrong direction, guess what's going to happen? There's no way 
They're going to put kids on school buses. There's no way they're going to track these kids in hallways, which means there's going to be no way that you're going to make it to a football field come Friday night. I still, Eugene, think that it's going to be hard to have these kids with a stand full of fans. I'm kind of thinking like a conversation I had earlier today with somebody. I'm thinking they're going to treat it a lot like, well, graduation. They had two, maybe four tickets. I think they're going to stick to two. Mom and dad, come on in and watch your kid play ball, and it's better than nothing. And I think that's where you and I and the other guys that do what we do are going to have an opportunity to go out and broadcast football games. And now we've been doing this for a long time. I've been on the radio for quite some time and before on the TV screen. But for me, this is going to open up a huge opportunity to do some really great things and to bring not only high school football to everybody who's used to hearing it, but how about these grandparents and these neighbors and these family members? Eugene, they don't get a chance to hear it or maybe – haven't really uh, been been forced to, but here they're going to have to find a way to listen to that number being called on the radio, buddy. Yeah, you know, and and that's the thing is like for the athletes who you know some people think that may or may not be as in danger because you know a lot of them are, or most of them or the majority of them or or whatever. However, you look at that, um, it is a little different when it comes to like you you mentioned the grandparents and you know I think if it's going to be the situation where we have. Uh, radio games, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity and, and, you know, thankfully God's blessed us with this platform and, you know, that we can be dialed in. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how we're going to do it to cover every game in the low country um, or around the state, but, you know, hopefully we can uh, maybe bring some other folks in the fold and, and, uh, and do that because if that is the case and there, there aren't going to be fans in the stand, so to speak, or if there's, you know, socially distanced fans. And then of course, you know, there will be some fans that say, you know, I really want to go, but, you know, I just I just don't want to risk it, and that's okay too. You know, it's a personal decision and a personal belief, and uh, you know I think we'll we'll try to certainly to do our best to cover it. Um, you know, just like what we're doing tomorrow night for the baseball thing, and you know I, I at Texas U another thing to piggyback on that man. Imagine if we could do these these uh quote unquote regional team regional uh, home run derbies and then have a massive home run derby maybe. Uh, do it for a little charity event for the uh, quote unquote big man of the uh, low country or something like that. That'd be really cool. Uh, maybe that'll start uh, something in the future that we can hopefully be a part of and build off and maybe even tie a great cause into it. But, um, you know, and I think that's, that's kind of what the, the overarching picture is. If we can go through this season, if we can get the season, get these games in, um, let the kids play. I think, you know, for people who want to sit in stands, you know, I think it would be, whether or not they get to have or get to have that experience, it's more so for the kids, and I think we have to look at it that right. you know whether we agree on the social distancing, whether we agree on the COVID thing um, or not, it's really just up to the kids and giving them opportunity. You know, you and I sat through many radio broadcasts with uh, you know almost in tears and coaches in tears and players in tears that never got to have that season, and uh, we we definitely want them to have that season. You know, like I said, whether you believe in virus in the virus or, or what you hear or read or see or, or politics or whatnot, we, we definitely, at the end of the day, I think we all agree we want the kids to play on a field and have that competition and have those uh, seasons, especially those seniors that this is their last shot because we sat through hours and hours of interviews in the spring of seniors who didn't get that shot. It was just heartbreaking. No doubt about it. That is heartbreaking. We're going to get into some of that tonight. We want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Southern Sports Central. Uh, you can do that on Facebook, Southern Sports Central. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at SO Sports Central. Of course, uh, we're on the gram, Instagram, if you will, 
at uh, Southern Sports Central as well. So we want to make sure that you're checking in with us, following us there. We're going to challenge a lot of those guys, and I like the idea of, of possibly uh, reaching out to each of the high schools and getting them to kind of do what you're seeing up in Dorchester County tomorrow night where we're going to be here broadcasting live at 6 o'clock at Gahagan with Somerville, Fort Dorchester, and Ashley Ridge. Maybe some of the other schools can do it. And like Eugene mentioned, maybe we can do a fundraiser. Maybe we can do some type of charity and pour it into the COVID-19, right, where we have the winner of the Dorchester area and you have the winner of the Berkeley County area, the winner of this and that and the others, and they all meet at the end. And then maybe we go, of course, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe the joke can open up for us or something. Who knows? But I think this is an opportunity to do some big things, and that's what we're here to do. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, it's time to check in with the commissioner, Jay Williams from the South Carolina High School Football Association is going to update us and let us know what's going around the low country and some little guys playing some football. We'll be right back. You're such a sight to see. You're the girl for me. You set my soul apart, filling my heart with one desire, wanting to be with you. You could make a blind man see. You could make a crippled man walks. You could make the quietest man in the world talk. Nobody else will do. Every little boy in town wants to get his arms around. For no one else will do but you. Yes, you got me going haven and haven over you.
Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Elman, alongside Eugene Benton here in the Factory Sports and Fitness Training Studios in Somerville, South Carolina. Don't forget, the factory is up and running, and I'm telling you what, these guys and girls are putting on the sweat, the training. They're putting it all down right over there at 5913 Loftus Road in Hanahan, South Carolina. You can call those guys over at the factory at 843-573-7391. We head now to our first guest, and always our first guest on Thursday night at 630 on the Tent Farm Hotline, the commissioner of the South Carolina Youth Football Association, the one and only Jay Williams. What's up, buddy? Not much, Richie. How's it going today, man? Well, it's good, man. No rain out there, I don't think. I'm looking out the studio windows, and this time yesterday, it was like the bottom fell out. And about 30 minutes from now, two days ago, it was like the bottom fell out again. So today, not the problem. Uh, and I know that's affecting you guys over there who, of course, are, are, are practicing in the afternoons, man. Uh, give us an update, man. What's happening in a week with the uh, with the football teams around the low country? Um, Nothing really has changed since the last time we spoke. Just, you know, everything slow motion, just gradually getting into everything here, you know, still practicing social distancing, but still getting the kids' workout in as well. So, um, you know, just nothing has really changed. Now, we're live with Jay Williams. He is the commissioner of the South Carolina Youth Football Association. Catches up with us every Thursday, 630. Uh, you know, I went out yesterday, Jay, and, uh, of course, uh, uh, over at Cahagan, they've got the uh, the camp that's going on. Now, is, is that something totally different than what you guys are doing over there? Because I know the high school coaches have dropped by since Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And if I'm not mistaken, some of your coaches were there on Monday night, right? Is that am I am I on the same page? Yes, sir. Uh, that's definitely correct. I'm out now, there. So what, what, when is that during the week that's going on with the camp over there? And is that affiliated with what you guys are doing uh, as well? Is what affiliated with what we're doing? I'm sorry. The camp, the camp that's happening right now at Gahagan, uh, is, is that exactly what you guys is it? Is it the same league, or, or what is the connection between uh, the football camp that's happening right now over at Gahagan comparatively to what you guys are doing over there uh, with your coaches and your team? Okay. Yeah, the the camp at Gahagan is Somerville Satoma. Um, it's the recreational okay. league in, in Somerville. It's not like associated with us, but we have a great relationship with those guys. They do have two teams that are in Skype the South Carolina Youth Football Association. They run the Somerville Wave for four, uh, and the Fort Dorchester Youth Patriot um, that both are in our league. Uh, they offer basically uh, just an alternative option for the people that may feel like their child needs a little more development before going to the travel league or just don't like traveling. So that gives the kids an alternative option where they can play locally um, and still get play football because that's the main objective, that all these kids get to play football, whether it's in the travel league or in the recreational league. And, uh, and there's some good guys over there. Um, they, do, they do good work. I see that they had uh, – uh, Coach LaPrade out there one night, Coach Ian Rafferty at Somerville. They had Coach Fiddler for Ashley Ridge. And I believe the Cane Bay coaches visiting tonight, if I'm not mistaken. So they hit all the Dorchester County and uh, Cane Bay, I think, to the Berkeley County schools that have a lot of their kids. Um, so that was great. Those kids got to hear each and every one of them. Um, it's great. Uh, so like we're not – together but we're affiliated we communicate uh with them uh you know we partner 
if we may have a kid on one of the teams in the league that's not ready per se to play at this level, we may, you know, suggest the Toma to the parent. Uh, so it's a, a great relationship. If to put it in uh, like terms, like the Toma may, you could really consider them like the JV to a varsity team in a sense. Um, if you're comparing our two leagues, now they have some great talent over there as well. Not saying that you know they don't have talented kids, but they're more for the developmental of the kids and just a recreational play. Um, but again, great group of guys over there. They're not a part of Skypa, but we are we associate with one another. Live right now with the commissioner, of course, uh, he's checking in with us. Jay Williams, six thirty edition, brought to you by our friends over at the Tenth Farm. As uh, it is getting hot, the sun is out and about, and you got to get the shade. And you start over there with uh, Jonathan Farmer and the guys over there at 7634 South Railroad in North Charleston, South Carolina. You can find them on the web at timform.com. Again, it is a hot one, and the young kids, of course, socially distanced, hydrated, but playing, and that's the key right now. And, and I think you broke it down pretty good, Jay, because it, it's kind of like for, for me, and I thought about it yesterday. I was there, and I, and I heard Coach – uh, Laprade speak. I wish I would have known uh, Coach Ian Rafferty was going to be there the day before and, uh, and Shane Filler would have been there the day before because I'd have liked to have been there for all three conversations. Uh, but that being said, you know, I was out there yesterday uh, with my son playing and um, you know, for me it, it, it's very similar. It, it's almost like a minor league system guys and, and I'm going to try to draw it up for you here. So it starts off at Satoma the weekday series, right? I mean it's kind of the recreation side of life. And, again, nothing wrong with rec ball, not, not one thing. But from that, you're going to get a little bit better, so you need a little bit more of a challenge. So you're going to come into Jay's group of guys, all right? Well, that's a theater program, all right? So it goes from that first part, single-A ball to double-A ball, all right? That's where Jay and those guys are at. Well, triple-A ball, where's that going? Well, that's going to go to the B team, right? And then you get the triple-A, uh-huh. and then you get the other one where you're going to get JV. And you want to make the big leagues, well, you got to play varsity football. See how that cycle works, the food chain and it works in that manner. And I like the factor, and I like what you said, Jay. If we see a guy that needs a little bit more training, we have the ability to kind of put him over here and let's get him some work in. And you see that a lot of times. And, and we're speaking in baseball terms, even though we're looking at football, but it's the food chain of success is what I'd like to call it there, Jay, because I think for the first time, Somerville, Fort Dorchester, and Ashley Ridge working together to get better, right? Their goals are the same, right? But they're working together. Right. Because I know Coach Pratt. I know Ian Rafferty and, uh, you know, Coach Fiddler over there at Ashley Ridge, they all three spoke to to kids who, let's be honest, not all these kids are going to that school. Some are going to go to this school. Some are going to go to that school. But at the end of the day, their goal is to get better. And that was one of the fun things that I did like about middle school ball. And I hated that we did away with it. And we'll talk about that on another day on another show. But uh, I love the concept of these kids played together and then got separated after middle school, that was always fun for me, being a Friday night radio guy on ESPN. That was a storyline for me. But what you guys are doing, Jay, is you're keeping that dream alive. Like for Ian Rafferty, who grew up here in Somerville, who played at Somerville, but he also played at Satoma. And I'm not sure your, your background, and if you, know, you played you know, very similar path there, but there's a lot of these coaches who did that. Now, Ian, of course, ended up going and playing at NC State and then goes on to play for the Titans and came back as a coach at Fort for about 10 years or so. And now the head football coach where he played. So I think that's kind of the neat part of it, Jay, is the storyline. And uh, all of your coaches, I'm sure, have their own story. And I like to call it more of a testimony uh, religiously for me. I think it has more of an impact than the storytelling. But uh, 
you know, and, and I would encourage you to tell those coaches, hey, man, tell these kids, man, it ain't all, you know, uh, lollipops and rainbows out here. You got to work hard for what you get. And, and I think these kids are seeing that now because, you know, the echelon of talent and what you guys are putting out there, Jay, for your group, man, it's, you guys are slapping some pads together here in a couple of weeks, I hope, at least a month, right? Good. We'll be getting in the pad. Most teams should be getting in the pad mid to late July within hopes and playing mid to late August if everything goes uh, well. Uh, crossing the fingers, I know I've seen you um, sharing a post of one of the high school seniors made on Facebook, and, you know, he was, you know, advising adults. It was tremendous. I saw a kid doing that, advising adults mm-hmm. and kids, like, keep practicing social distance and keep wearing your mask. This kid wants to play his high school season of football. So that's very important. Um, just as important as it is for him to get in that high school year, we don't want these youth to miss a year of football. Now, they do have more time, of course. They're, we're talking about kids ages 6 through 12. But one year, um, they can't get that back. And the right. high schooler can't get their year back. And luckily, the past season, high school students were able to play a full season. The COVID didn't hit until after they were done. But these seniors want that opportunity as well. So I think it's very important that we continue to practice social distancing, continue to wear our masks, um, and so oh, we might have just lost him. We just lost him there. That was kind of cold turkey there. We were live with uh, the commissioner, man. I don't know where he's at. He's in between fields, uh, Eugene, there. But he was talking about that social distancing, and he's talking about J.J., the wide receiver from Myrtle Beach, that, uh, of course, said uh, that, that at the end of the day, hey, look, if it's going to play, you know, it, it's going to take all of us to get it together. We got him back there. Are you with us, commissioner? Yeah, I'm back. I don't know what happened there. I figured you were traveling between football fields, my man. So I had you covered, whether you were in between or not, man. Uh, you do some other stuff uh, over with Woodland as well, correct? Is that, is that okay to, to, to conversate a little bit about? Yeah, sure. Um, I help out on the varsity staff there as well. So so let's talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind, man. Uh, and, again, you know, this is the part the, these coaches, and he's not the only coach that's involved with the youth program. There is uh, Coach White down there at, at Fort Dorchester that uh, he has his football team, right, in, in, in your league as well. And, uh, and he, you know, really gives back to the community in that way. And there's a few other coaches around that are coaches on other staffs in other areas, uh, Jay, when you look at it. But, but what's the attitude up there at Woodland, man? We, we talk a lot of Fort. We talk a lot of Somerville. We talk a lot about everybody. But I feel like Coach Cyber deserves some love up there at Woodland, man. What's happening up there with you guys, man? Uh, you guys getting ready, and, and, and what's it been like? transitioning into this, uh, getting these kids back around you guys around the school? Well, right now it's just patience. Um, Coach Cyrus is preaching patience. He's not jumping out there. Uh, you know, we're not in full-out workouts or anything of that nature. Uh, he is just being patient and letting this thing take its course. And um, hopefully these numbers start going down so we can get out there. Um, to him, I know I have a conversation with him. It was football. And it's stuff more important than football, uh, especially what's going on in the world. So he's not rushing football right now. Um, I'm, of course, he would love to be out there. We all would love to be out there. But right now, that's not a, his number one priority. Uh, we're taking our course with that. And uh, hopefully soon we'll get some clearance and everything and get back on the field. But right now, it's just we're preaching patience over there. We're alive right now with the commissioner for the South Carolina Youth Football Association, Jay Williams. Of course, he's also on the staff up there at Woodland High School. 
that's in Dorchester, South Carolina, just uh, due east. I guess that's what it would be, east of St. George and west of Somerville. They're right in the dead square in the middle. And they've got a five-star stadium and a very impressive football staff and team that's going to be producing some big points coming up this year, some quarterback play coming back. They've got it, – it's kind of like – and tell me what is it about Woodland that you guys consider always to have some five-star defensive backs up there, man. What are you guys teaching them up there in the secondary? Because it seems like, you know, a kid may move up to St. George and, of course, that's where he's got to go to school, but he continues to really show out. And you guys, you know, had a kid that's going to Virginia. You got another kid that's going to, I believe, State. And uh, it's just y'all had a handful of kids going and playing some big-time football this year. Well, um, I think something in the water up that way. I mean, we bring good athletes, which is great. Um, they're athletic and they're coachable and they're willing to learn. And then big shout out to Coach Ford, Coach Seibert, and all the other assistant coaches that work time in and time out as far as getting these kids into these colleges. Yeah, because it takes a lot of work, young men. It doesn't just happen where you just come in and you're just six foot five and you're just going to walk in to the University of Georgia or Clemson or South Carolina or Virginia. Like they've got Mr. Davis going to Virginia. Of course, Somerville had a Davis, and he's now in South Carolina State. And I really think Shaq goes drafted, by the way, if the season happens. And he has another stellar year. I think this kid's talking NFL draft status over there. And uh, it it just seems like there's – to me – and I'm kind of curious because I've had this conversation with somebody just earlier yesterday, and they said, you know, the low country has got a lot of talent, but for some reason it doesn't get the respect that it needs. And it was not always that way, right? I mean, I remember when you and I were growing up, you know, Berkeley and Somerville, man, they were smash mouth before there was a fort. And, of course, Ashley Ridge and, and Cane Bay and, heck, even Stratford. You know, Stratford's not been around forever. I mean, it seems like it's been around for a long time. But, you know, Goose Creek was one of those original schools as well. But, you, you remember those days. What do you feel, not just that we can look back to the youth program, which I think you and your staff and your group of guys and girls, that what you're doing is building that foundation again to get that low country where it needs to go, Jay. But what is it about the upstate to the lower state that seems like they either get more love than, than we do here? Because I don't think they've got better athletes. I just think they get a little bit more attention. Your thoughts? Well, I don't think they have better athletes either, but I think the upstate was playing catch-up a while back, and now the lower state's playing catch-up now. And there's a lot of factors that have factored into that. One was all of these high schools in the lower state popping up, as you just mentioned. We didn't have all of that 30 years ago. Um, so, you know, Somerville and possibly Ford and Stratford originally and then these other schools started popping up, a lot of, you know, Take Ashley Ridge, for instance. It's a new school in the area-wise, but before Ashley Ridge, every kid that's going to Ashley Ridge right now more than likely ended up at Somerville as well. So now Somerville basically had two talent pools of players to choose from to build a a powerful and dynamic team. Well, that talent has been split by another team coming into the area, and then came Bay popping up later on and drawing some of the kids on the outer edge of Somerville from there. That's just using Somerville as sample, but it is affecting everybody with all the schools popping up. And in the upstate, they've been doing this youth feeder program for the longest. Um, Burns High School is one of the first programs I knew about it. I'm not sure if they originated or not, but this has been happening in the upstate. And so 
that's where that's a part of getting an advantage. I know you look at it like, oh, it's new football, but if these kids are learning the system and getting acclimated with coaches and uh, learning terminology and running some of the plays at the high school run at a young age, and you're doing that from age six to eighteen, that's twelve years of being a run program. By the time you're eighteen, you know the system like the back of your hand. You're ready to roll with it. Weren't doing that down here. Um, I know you mentioned you hate to see middle school ball go. Middle school ball was a great thing because you got to build relations with people that you would play with in middle school. But the flip side of that is something you mentioned as well. Some of those kids ended up getting split up because so many high schools, one kid got zoned for this one, one kid got zoned for the next one because where he lives. So I think what we're doing right now is keeping these kids together to play catch-up with the upset. And so in – I think you'll see it flip-flop here or at least get onto an equal level playing field, the lower state will begin to catch up. Because if you look at just our youth league right now, the the majority of the teams are in the lower state that we have in the entire league. Um, so the lower state's coming, and um, we plan to even it out here shortly, if not surpass the upper state and make them play a little catch-up. Um, but I think that's what it was, just all these teams popping up and talent getting split and us not taking advantage of, you know, building the youth programs up at an early age. And, and no doubt this year, Gene, uh, something you mentioned with the, the youth program, you know, I had children who played in the youth program for, for a year up in Myrtle Beach. And uh, one thing that Mickey had installed is if you played in the Horry County, if you played in the youth league, football league, they actually, the, the coaches, it wasn't so much daddy ball. Sure, there were volunteers and dads who coached but you actually had specific Myrtle Beach plays on offense and defense. Now, the referee, when you were on offense, the referee actually was in the huddle with the youth players. And if a play was designed, a design run to the left, and it was one of Myrtle Beach's plays, and that running back saw a defensive end crashing in the backfield and cut right, there was an illegal procedure play. That's how strict that, you know, Myrtle Beach and Mickey was running the youth league in that area was that, uh, you know, you're going to run our plays and you're going to learn our system and learn some of the terminology. Of course, you know, they have to shake it up with the terminology is what I learned later a little bit, but it's still the same concepts, the same plays. And like I said, it was to the point of there was a referee in every offensive huddle, and if you didn't run the play that was called, it was an illegal procedure penalty. And that's, that's just – but, I mean, and if you look at it, look at the success at Myrtle Beach High School. There are a lot of state championships, a lot of state runners-up, and – you know, how many conference championships and, and you know, deep playoff runs. It, it speaks a lot, especially – and also, then again, look at how many kids they put in D1. So, uh, you know, that is I, – I agree with you 100%. That is something that's been lacking big time because, you know, and, and shout out to the volunteer dads who show up and, you know, have been coaching the little leagues and the middle school teams for years. But when you're – when you look at it from the business standpoint of a high school coach, and then the high school coach, you know, and the college coach, you know, it really behooves these guys to get the continuity uh, of a program that where it's going to matter on Friday night to already have those skills and, you know, development and terminology. Like you said, been, been in a program or a system for 12 years, you know, the seniors graduate, the next guys plug and play, you know, may or may not be as good or better or, you know, athletically, but at least they should know the system and be ready to go and have a good shot at making that team. Yeah, everything you said was absolutely correct, man, Eugene. And uh, that, that's an interesting thing that Myrtle Beach did. I've 
never heard of that. I don't know if we would want to take it as far as calling a legal procedure penalty if a kid had to make a football move and cut back. Um, but that may be something we have to we can look into in the league as far as implementing that. Now that with us having so many teams with you know so many different terminology and plays, we'll probably have to have a specific set of referees at games. I'm sure it's something that we can put our heads together and work out. Uh, but it is a great idea, like um, because we need to implement these high schools, especially the ones that are true feeder programs for your high schools. We need to. You need to get these kids yeah. implemented in learning that system. Uh, and and, and okay. I might be wrong if I recall correctly. Uh, the the games were played. Uh, the youth league game were played around six thirty seven o'clock. If you've ever been up to Myrtle Beach High School, um, uh, you probably have. You got the big you know beautiful field with the track and everything else. Then right behind it is the big grassy field, and that's where Myrtle Beach High School at the time. This was 2011, 2012. They would practice on the grass area. Well, then the youth football fields were about 100 yards over, and there were two of them, I believe, that's kind of surrounded by all the little baseball fields. And if I recall correctly, because I know Knox, who went on to NC State, was a defensive end, those guys would actually come over and ref some of the game. And it was a little bit of way for them to make a little bit of money and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, so they knew the plays and knew the terminology, but – no doubt, every time there's an offensive huddle, there's a referee in that huddle. Now, I, I don't want to overstate that, you know, if maybe a kid made a cut or something like that, but I do know if it was a designed run to the left and that kid took the ball and went right, that was a legal procedure. It was a five-yard penalty and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so it, it's a very interesting concept, but whatever it is, you know, Mickey's, Mickey's turned it into a great success at Myrtle Beach High School. Yeah, and that's great. I might have to reach out with him because we need to get Myrtle Beach involved in this league. Um, I don't have a Myrtle Beach team, so that would be great to get him involved. Maybe he's interested in something. He already has the platform for it. He already has the kids running the plays. So, I mean, it would be nothing just to get on the schedule and compete. Yeah, it's a fun little road trip for the guys, too. You know, there's definitely a lot of uh, facilities up there, for, you know, kind of a stay overnight, and I'm sure the kids would love the trip and stuff like that, man. But, you know, and that's what it is. You get the kids. And I know we we have one of the guys on um, a couple months ago that played in, played for Snoop Dogg in his league, and now he's a national recruit. And he said some of the best experiences of his life was that first plane trip or that first road trip, you know, with the guys on the team and kind of that camaraderie of, you know, hanging out with your buddies on the bus because that's what happens in high school. You know, in high school, um, the same year that we lived up there, Myrtle Beach had a one-and-one with Burns High School. That's the year that Burns beat them. Everett Golson was quarterback at Myrtle Beach. Burns beat them at Myrtle Beach that night. Everett Golson had twisted his ankle. And then um, in the state championship, uh, that's when Everett Golson and, and Myrtle Beach actually beat the Clowney South Point team. So uh, it was kind of a fun year for football up there. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> definitely I, I think you should. And I think that would be a heck of an avenue to, to build the brand and also get those kids the experience of, you know, make a little road trip, go and play somebody not from your neighborhood, you know, kind of see what they do and kind of see what, you know, other competition looks like. Competition breeds success. And, you know, if, if, if they win, great. They lose, maybe they learn something from it. Maybe they learn something for winning it. But I, I, I think, you know, no matter whether it's Myrtle Beach or Columbia or somewhere else, I really think it's a good thing to get these kids an opportunity to go play other places and, against other programs because that's who they're going to face in high school. Right. I totally agree. And that, that's the 
big vision of the league. I mean, if we can touch basically every area in the state, follow the high school schedule to a T, then you really get that true competition. How great would it have been if back then when Burns plays against uh, Myrtle Beach, that Burns Little League team came down and played against the Myrtle Beach Little League team that following day. I mean, that would have been tremendous. Um, So that's, of course, what we're trying to get to, baby steps um, to get there. But uh, I think eventually we will. Well, Jay, if there's anything I can do to connect you to Myrtle Beach, of course, that's home to me. And I've got uh, a couple of numbers in my pocket I can release to you. That would be great. I think that's great. And, Eugene, you nailed it there. It's and I played and traveled with uh, with the team, and we were kind of ahead of our, our game there out of uh, the the Grand Strand area. We would travel and play other football teams in, in, say, Georgetown. We would go to other areas and play it. You know, it's that bus ride. Like he said, that's when, honestly, it is when you are gelling your most, and you're not even on a football field. It's those long rides, and sometimes those hard rides back from a loss is, is also another time to bond. And, of course, you don't want to lose any games. But, again, again, you kind of look at it, and, and we'll, of course, you know, talk a little bit more, more about this, Jay, but, but I want to say this to you, man. What an amazing job you're doing, and you knew that this thing was going to be big, but you probably didn't realize you were going to have this much success this early into it. And, again, we were able to tie in high school to the little guys, to uh, everybody in between, and, and we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to let you be the voice, of course, of uh, those guys up there at Woodland High School because I want to start getting some more conversation uh, about those guys as well because we do talk a lot about some of the guys down on this end, but we want to make sure that everybody is well-recognized here on the show. Uh, Jay, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the evening. You and I, again, we say it all the time, but this weekend is the weekend you and I are catching up in Somerville. You name the spot, lunch, on me. We'll sit down. We'll go over everything that needs to happen because I do know we need to get some notes together. Eugene's going to come up. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to come up too, and we're going to sit down and we're going to make sure our calendars are booked for Saturday night at East Location. If you don't mind, let's try to put it together this weekend, buddy. Hey, not a problem, brother. Just give me a shot when we can. We'll get something set up. You got it, buddy. Again, always looking forward to it. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Real quick before we get you out, give yourself a shout-out. Give them a chance. How do they find you? How do they connect with you? And, again, it's not too late to play in the league over there with the South Carolina Youth Football Association. The theater program for the high school, it starts right there with Jay and his group of guys and girls. Again, he has cheerleaders. He's got football players. He's got girls playing on the football field, and he may have a few guys on the sideline in the cheerleading squad. We don't know, but the opportunity for your young man or woman to be a part of what he does is still available. Jay, how do they find you, buddy? Um, on Facebook, you can find me, S-E-Y-F-A. Uh, also, Twitter tag, hashtag S-E-Y-F-A. Um, email S-E-Y-F-A20 at gmail.com, or you can look me up directly on Facebook, Jay Williams. Um, those are the social media outlets. My number's posted all over social media, all over the website. Um, you can contact me via phone, text, email, inbox, whatever. Like you said, it's not too late. It's actually early in the process. So get these guys, girls signed up, whether it's football, chair, for either one of them. Let's get them signed up and participate. You got it, buddy. God bless you, your family. We'll talk soon. Until next week, buddy, keep it strong, keep them distance, and keep them healthy, buddy. We'll see you next week. All right, Richie. All right, guys, there you go. That is the man with the plan, and that is the commissioner. That's right. We get a commissioner on the show every Thursday at 630, brought to you by our friends over at the 10th Farm, located at 7634 South Railroad in North Charleston. You can reach Jonathan Farmer and the crew at 843-297-4131. They'll come to you. All right. They'll come to you, and they'll 
They'll go ahead and throw some shade on your car. They'll put some shade on your business. They'll put it on your house. Wherever you need them to throw a little bit of tent, they'll do it. You can also look up some of their work, and you can also connect with them on social media, but also on the web at tentform.com. we got to go to break because it's top of the hour. One, done, two up next. And who do you think we're catching up with? That's right, Charlotte, North Carolina's own, of course. That's Reginald Walker, Jr. we got a lot to cover, so we'll be right back. You're listening to Southern Sports Central on Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Yeoman alongside Eugene Benton. Now it is time to head back to the Tent Farm Hotlines, and we're heading to Charlotte, North Carolina, with the one and only Reginald Walker, Jr. What's up, Reggie? How's life uh, there in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, on a Thursday evening, my friend? It's not bad. It was a little warm earlier. It's cooling down a little bit now. We get, you know, sun going down. We get a little little cool down. So life is good. Life is good. How y'all, how y'all holding up down there towards the coast, I should say? <laughs> yeah, we're holding up. Now, I did see the ruling come out that the state of North Carolina, you guys are mass friendly uh, in Charleston. They're, they're actually working on some stuff. I'm not trying to jump on that board, I think. I think that's the right plan, man. But uh, we're holding safe. It's dry. We've had rain in the afternoon for the last two or three days. But as of right now, it's holding off, which is a good thing to get some of these kids who are at least, you know, socially distanced practicing a little bit here at the Little League fields. They're getting that done. But, uh Tell us about that down there before we get into some sports. Did I read that right? That the state of North Carolina, it is a rule for the state. You guys have to wear a mask when you're out and about? Yeah, they're asking that folks wear masks when they're in public places, um, which includes restaurants. Um, and basically the concept there is when you go into the restaurant as you enter, you'll have your mask on all the way until you get to your table. Then you can take it off. Um, if you get up from the table for any reason, use the restroom or et cetera, you're asked to put the mask on until you get back to the table. Some people are going to wow. not mind it. A bunch of people are going to hate it. Um, but the reality is it came from the medical experts. It came from the governor. Um, you know, I, I, I just look at it like this. I, I consider myself uh, for, for a catch-all term right now uh, a law-abiding citizen. Um, and so if that's what they're asking me to do, then I'll just, uh, you know, acquiesce and do it, or I'll just stay at home. You know, they're not telling you you have to go anywhere. They're just asking you to wear a mask when you do. No doubt. And you saw earlier yesterday I put out the tweet from JJ, a young kid, a wide receiver from Myrtle Beach. He's committed to the University of North Carolina, and he wants that senior season like nobody else's business because they missed a state championship by about a quarter and a half as they were in the state championship in 4A football here in the state of South Carolina. He put out there, guys, look, we want to play football. You want to watch football. Basically, put your mask on, and it'll happen. If you don't, then we won't. And, uh, of course, I couldn't imagine what these seniors – you're talking about a very uneasy feeling to an entire generation. I, I get that the, the spring sports just had to deal with it, but, man, if this thing melts and falls into the, the fall sports, this, this is a big deal because this will now, I think, will flow all the way through the rest of the year because financially, we say it time after time, football funds all of sports in high school, correct? Yeah, it does. I mean, and it funds sports, uh, you know, really uh, uh, most sports at, at all levels. Um, when you talk about at, at the high school and or college level, uh, we just saw finally, well, I shouldn't say finally, but uh, officially UConn announced the dissolution um, of multiple sports. 
uh, including swimming and diving, the rowing team, and a couple other teams. Uh, tennis, I believe, was a factor in that as well um, at the University of Connecticut. And, and this is uh, – listen, uh, have they made mistakes in the past about how to manage their budget? Absolutely. But the reality of the situation is when you don't have football or when you lose uh, certain revenue-driving sports, they, the UConn did not get um, the NCAA revenue, while people want to understand this or not, they did not get the NCAA revenue that would have come from uh, their women's basketball team probably making a Final Four type of run. Uh, they lost that kind of money. Uh, so that's a factor as well. So uh, to your point, you know, if high school football doesn't happen uh, in the state of North and or South Carolina or anywhere else for that reason, it is going to impact some of the other sports in the fall and or spring. Remember, uh, some of the sports in the fall, in, in, in some cases, include volleyball. Uh, it includes soccer, those types of sports. If all of a sudden there is no football, that travel budget is going to look a lot different because if you can't fill up, and I've been to South Carolina high school football games, if you can't fill up that eight, 9,000-seat stadium at a high school game, and believe me, I've seen it in, those, in that state and other places. We've seen, obviously, the state of Texas, some of those stadiums for high schools, 10, 15,000 people. If you're not filling four, five, 6,000 people, uh, give or take in certain parts of South Carolina uh, for a Friday night football game, you're going to have some issues with that volleyball team going from, you know, Somerville to playing a great tournament in the upstate uh, without the money uh, coming from what's garnered at a, at a high school football uh, gate, if you will, uh, in terms of people buying tickets and coming to the game. No doubt right now, live with the one and only Reginald Walker Jr. Played his days with Joe Pot and the Nittany Lions currently playing uh, – I would say a five-star role of multiple avenues. One of those right here on Southern Sports Central covers a couple of colleges there in the uh, Charlotte area, and he also does some TV work as well. So he has uh, a multi-opportunity to do multitasking things. Of course, uh, uh, I do want to say this, and I would say it's probably pretty fair to say that right now people are jockeying to get radio broadcast guys pretty quickly because there is probably, again, they're going to do whatever they have to do to get these athletes on the field. And even if it is to give out mom and dad two tickets like they did in a lot of graduations here locally, uh, or maybe four. I don't, I don't know if we're going to get as big as four. That's a pretty big number. But they did it in, in, in Berkeley County with the graduations. I think four was the magic number for tickets over there. But nevertheless, I, I think this is going to be the era of radio and TV. I think both you and I on the multiple things that we do, and Eugene now being a part of what we do, uh, this is where we're going to become uh, essential workers, right? I, I guess that's the right word to say. Yeah, it's going to be an important important factor moving forward. And and and, and as I say this, uh, shout out to Berkeley County uh, High School uh, down there in the Monks Corner area. Um, shout out to uh, that program and and uh, the uh, a teammate of mine, Kenta Palmer, uh, played his high school ball there. Uh, shout out to Goose Creek. Uh, another one of my teammates, Rodney Kenlaw. So uh, I know that area down there really well. And, um, you know, to your point, it's, it's probably a little bit easier for, for Berkeley to do what they did in terms of giving out a little bit more tickets, a little bit more, uh, a little less uh, densely populated, if you will, um, so you can kind of fit a few more people in there because you don't have as large amount of students, perhaps. I don't know the exact enrollment numbers down there, but that's something uh, to look at. But you're right. Right now, um, that, that I think, you know, the avenue, especially for some smaller schools, uh, that don't have, at, at least at the collegiate level, that don't have these grandiose TV deals with ESPN or Fox Sports or, or CBS Sports Network or CBS or 
you know, all these different networks, NBC Sports Network, I don't want to leave anybody out, Pac-12 Network, Big 12 Network, ACC Network, SEC Network. I could go on and on and on and on. Uh, but if they don't have those kinds of deals, um, they are going to have to lean on uh, a radio broadcast. And, and for advertisers, uh, that radio broadcast will prove potentially uh, to be a, a worthwhile buy um, to get a little bit of advertising in there because perhaps um, if you have people not able to go to those games, uh, if they're not finding their way onto a platform like ESPN3, which ESPN3 is not always going to be available for everybody, that's where uh, some radio and TV outlets are really going to be able to um, uh, really take advantage of it and, and really give opportunities for guys like ourselves um, a chance to really paint the picture for the, the listener at home um, as to what's going on in a football game. Hey, what about it right now is- I, I had to step in there. Sorry about that, Richie. Uh, Reggie, it's Eugene. You mentioned these uh, summer uh, Berkeley County guys, and I was really surprised you left a guy off the list, man. A guy I played against, uh, he ended up going to some school, uh, Penn State, I think, from Berkeley County, maybe the number one draft pick overall. Gosh, what a beast on the football field from Little Macedonia High School, uh, Courtney Brown. I don't know. Uh, I, see, I, don't know I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if Berkeley County was. I wasn't sure if that school was in Berkeley County. Yeah, yeah Macedonia was at the time. Uh, it's no longer Macedonia. It's part of uh, the the area is now what's considered Timberland High School, but it was the old Macedonia uh, Foxes back then because it was part of the old Francis Marion National Forest, the Swamp Fox. Ah, yep. Courtney Brown, the number one pick of the two thousand draft. No I was going to say, his high school team had him, a guy you probably recall, Joe Hamilton, a guy I reached out to the other day, quarterback at Virginia Tech, Tech, and the cousin Harvey Middleton, the wide receiver at Virginia Tech, I mean, uh, Georgia Tech. They were all on that same high school team in 1996 when I graduated. Loaded. Loaded. That is talent. Yeah, no doubt, but especially for a town of about 300 people. I mean, you had uh, two guys from that that go on and play in the NFL. So, but yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing is, like, you get these small towns and get groups of pockets of these kids like that. But, you know, in, in those small towns, even back then in the 90s, you know, even at, even at Walterboro, uh, where everybody seemed that they used to be the main event was the high school, you know, Friday night game, even for those home. I mean, my grandfather never went to a high school football game. He used to drop, you know, uh, people off and my grandma off and, and that, you know, to, to watch us. But then he would go home and flip on that radio. So I'm wondering if, you know, like Richie was saying, man, this, this is – I think what we're relating to that is, you know, how many games are we going to be able to cover? Because I really think that's going to be a market for this fall, for high school especially. Yeah, I mean, it is. And, and, and what's going to happen is I, I think you're in a situation where I think um, it's going to help bring back potentially the medium of, that is radio in terms of live broadcast um, because pe- so many people may be forced uh, to only take it in that way. Um, I think what we may see as well is we may see situations where um, local stations, small local stations that are just looking for a little pop, uh, they may put a camera or two at the game and then take the radio feed over top of it um, and turn it into a TV broadcast and do it that way. 
um, just to try to, to create uh, those eyeballs and get those eyeballs on, on their channel and then just heavily promote whatever shows they have on their channel uh, as a way around it as well. So there's so many avenues, so many business aspects that I think we're going to see moving forward. Uh, but, I, but I will say this. I, I, do I think we're going to have a football season uh, at multiple levels? Yes, I do. But I, I also will say this. Uh, we're going to have a season, but there will be an interruption or two uh, this football season, in my opinion. I just I don't see how we are going to find a way to go from, uh, per se, thinking about high school mid-August uh, to early December with no issues and no stoppages uh, due to uh, COVID-19 unless uh, somebody, some organization, some pharmaceutical company pops out a vaccine in the next couple of months that I don't see coming. Right. And, you know, the, here in the coastline, Reginald and Eugene, we, we've actually gotten a little bit of preparation for this because it seems like in the last seven years we've had hurricanes. We've had the, the smoke from a fire that was miles and miles away that, that would cost us a week or two during the middle of the season that we would lose at least a week, if not two weeks, of football because of hurricanes and natural disasters here on the coastline. So there is at least a little bit of, of we've been here before, so there is that expectation that we can – probably work our way through it and that's why I feel that a it's gonna be hard for them and it, and it may not be but I, I do feel like it's to be hard for jamborees to happen this was something that David Shelton who does a phenomenal job here locally writing uh, for the Post and Courier for the uh, for the high school guys down here in Charleston he went on social media and felt pretty good about there will be a season now what it, will it look like you know it will probably look possibly just region games only Right. And of course, I mentioned, you know, I don't think Jamborees will be there. I think there's going to be a question mark of some of these other games because as Oceanside was supposed to go out to Atlanta, that game is scratched. Nationally, multiple teams that were supposed to play one another from Texas and California, that's scratched. And of course, we talked earlier, what, a month ago about a team from South Carolina playing against a team in North Carolina right there in Charlotte in the, the Panther Stadium. I'm sure that game is scratched. And, and it's understandable because. We're talking life, which is a lot more important than any point you can put on a scoreboard. Uh, so when it looks down to it, I'm just glad that we have an opportunity to do what we do, Reginald. And, uh, of course, Eugene coming on board now. He's going to have a chance to jump in here on the media world. And, uh, again, it's a different type of exhaustion, is it not, there, Reginald, when you're done calling the game on the radio? Because I pick on the TV guys all the time. They got it easy, man. You know, they, they just kind of just – it's just kind of a conversation. But for you and me, and other radio guys, man, it's almost like we have to go into uh, a Ray Charles mode or, or Stevie Wonder mode where we understand that they can't see what, what, what we see, so we have to paint the picture, and, and sometimes it's not as easy because it's so fast, huh? Oh, I, I, listen, you, <laughs> there, I, I, I'll just put it this way. You know, I, I, I have felt that pain. Uh, think about it. I, I, <laughs> one week I'll do a Charlotte game for TV, and the next week I'll do a Gardner-Webb game for radio, and then – in the middle of explaining what happened in a play, I have to remind myself, dude, this is radio. You have to explain what you mean by too deep coverage. So then I'm like, and when I say too deep, I mean two high safeties in the middle of the field. They're responsible for this half to this half, and then the corners are rolled up at this depth. I have to remember, I have to explain that differently because there is no replay in front of me that I'm pointing out certain yeah. things. So I have to walk folks through every single step of the process. So to your point, uh, going back and forth from – TV to radio, it, it does change, and the mechanics are completely different. And you have to stay locked in the whole time and remember where you are, which at times can be a little bit difficult. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a blast, but it's also an exhausting blast. And somebody asked me one time, they said, what, what's it like, man? It's got to be a lot of fun. I said, well, to be honest with you, the game for high school, they're over on Friday. So Saturday is the one day I don't do anything. But by Sunday morning, I go to church. I get out of church on Sunday. I'm, I'm already working on the next game Friday night because I've got to get familiar with the other team that Somerville might be playing, of course. And then I'm, I'm a little bit more detailed guy. I like to have storylines in between because – there's always a little bit of downtime to have some conversation during halftime and things like that. But, but during the game, it's like air traffic control, man. I got papers flying sometimes everywhere. I've got some parents I might have to recruit because some of my team doesn't show or they've got other engagements that they have to do. And so there's somebody spotting a ball for me over here, right in the stat over here. And, man, it's, it's quite an interesting but yet exhausting feeling. And I usually go home. I'm probably just as tired some days calling a radio game than I am, you know, I've played a few games in my time because that's like I tell the kids on the football field. I watch more football on that field than your coaches do because coaches, they don't take a break, but they do go sit under a, a tent somewhere and talk about the other play. I have to keep calling mm-hmm. it. You have to keep calling it. So it's, uh, it, it's uh, I've seen every play for the last so many years at Somerville. I haven't missed one yet. I feel like I'm undefeated <laughs> to some degree. And, uh, you know, there's always a storyline even in a press box because uh, temperatures get a little hot during the game between if you can – and as long as they keep offensive and defensive coordinators from the other teams away from one another, it's not bad. But some of these press boxes, they seem to get a little bit smaller, Edgerham. Oh, not only do they get smaller, but I can tell you this, in some of these college stadiums uh, and some of these, quote-unquote, smaller press boxes, uh, they forget <laughs> that some of us have to wear suits if we're doing TV. And a little bit of air conditioning and an ability to close a window is not a terrible thing right. from time to time, but it's not always accessible. So, right. so that can get a little bit interesting as well. Um, and or it can be really cold in some of these, right. you know, because there is no way to close uh, the vent or, the, or I shouldn't say the vent. The, uh, there's no way to close the window uh, in the press box. Right. So always interesting times, you know, what, not knowing what environment you may walk into to call a game. And then, of course, you know, going with Gardner-Webb, and, and listen, it's a great opportunity. Those guys do a great job. Uh, Mark Rabb and his staff and sports information out there are excellent. But when you go call a right. game up at Western Carolina, you don't know what to expect in terms of the weather. You're up on the side of the mountain there in Western North Carolina. It's cold. It's windy. It, it, it's, it's dreary, kind of dark. You, just, you, you, better, you better take a couple of layers and be prepared to either put them on or take them off. Amen to that. And uh, you talk about Gardner-Webb. They do have a, a low country touch over there with the running back. We gave uh, uh, the young running back from uh, from the – well, he lives in Somerville, but he goes to Oceanside. Uh, Keegan Williams is heading to UNC Charlotte. But uh, the team, team that you're talking about actually has DJ Hancock, a young man who uh, I don't think he's ever quit smiling. I think the kid goes to sleep with a smile. He wakes up with a smile. He's always, you know, uh, first in and last out. And uh, I'm excited to watch him do what he does this year. But – uh, to kind of change gears a little bit, and, and again, we could talk some press, but maybe that's a show you and I and, you know, Eugene, we, we could do kind of a, a behind-the-scenes of what we do day in and day out in a press box because uh, that's got its own uh, segment that could be brought to you here shortly. Now, uh, one thing that did happen today about an hour ago, I saw Bethune-Cookman making headlines, man. They were in the MEAC no longer. Now they're heading to the SWAC. What's going on in the MEAC, Reginald? I mean, this seems like another team leaving this conference is it because of the factor that the MEAC doesn't get the respect and when it comes to bowl games and things like that, that this is keeping them from the growth of their program and they feel like going to the SWAC, they have a little bit better opportunity or a lot more opportunity uh, to get their teams into bowl games? Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think, I think that's a lot of that is a factor, but I'll say this. Um, 
the MEAC has their essentially their their tape delay deal with ESPN uh, from a TV standpoint. Other than that, I don't know what other money comes into that conference in terms of for media rights and those types of things. Uh, on the flip side, it is a conference that is largely spread out. Now it's shrinking because teams are leaving. But if you think about it, at one point the MEAC all the way up to to uh, um, up into Maryland, all the way down into Florida. That is a long, difficult, lot of travel. You talk about Bethune-Cookman, Florida A&M, and, and part of what I think Bethune-Cookman is doing is they're at least keeping someone in their proximity, which is Florida A&M, by going to the SWAC, as Florida A&M has recently announced as well. Uh, obviously, there are some financial issues in the MEAC because a lot of people kind of knew and felt like and, and, and saw that uh, North Carolina A&T was basically propping that league up with what they were doing in football. Well, once they left, once also Hampton left, now you're sitting around going, well, what's the purpose? And so for Hampton, they can still, they're playing in the Big South, uh, but they're still going to probably play Howard every year, which is another MEAC school, but that's fine. It's a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive uh, from Hampton up to Washington, D.C. Uh, to play Howard. That is what it is. On the flip side of that, everywhere else they had to play, if you think about it, uh, from Hampton to North Carolina A&T, that is not a short drive. From Hampton um, to South Carolina State, that is not a short drive. Now, you flip that around and you look at where Bethune-Cookman is, which is essentially Daytona Beach, Florida, you're asking them to travel to South Carolina State, which is in Orangeburg. You're asking them to travel to North Carolina A&T, which is in Greensboro, North Carolina. At one point, obviously, when they were still in the league, Hampton, Howard, up into Maryland uh, for an opponent there as well. And then the math just gets too difficult when you don't have the revenue coming in. Uh, So I think when you look at the situation with them playing in the SWAC, moving to the SWAC, you've got Alabama State, you've got Alabama A&M, you've got some of those schools that are a little bit closer in terms of proximity. Those bus rides are easier. I think what you're also going to see is the travel partner model. Uh, that a lot of people aren't aware of. Uh, They've been doing it in the Pac-12 for years. I don't know if you ever noticed, but every time Cal, for instance, plays Arizona State in basketball, they play Arizona a day and a half later. And meanwhile, as that's happening, Stanford is doing the same thing in the opposite. So what they do is they call it travel partners. So on a Thursday night basketball game, Cal will play at Arizona and Stanford will play at Arizona State. And then on Saturday, they'll play the opposite. They'll go play Arizona, and the other will play Arizona State. And that's, that's the travel partner concept. So that when they get to the state of Arizona, they know we're going to play in Phoenix. Then we're going to go to Tucson, and we'll fly out of Tucson. So for one flight, right, one set, one round-trip set of tickets or charter, they know they're getting two games out of it. And so the math works a little bit better. And I think that's a little bit of what we may see down the line uh, as many of these schools move to the SWAC. No doubt about it. Live right now, Reginald Walker Jr. We've got to keep moving. But I will say after 40 years in the MEAC, it is going to be Bethune-Cookman joining the SWAC in 2021. You saw what South Carolina State did. They're also in the MEAC. They had a stellar season. I mean, a, a season to remember, but yet missed an opportunity to go bowling because they didn't win the MEAC. That's kind of preposterous well, when you start to see the success they had. Right. That's the other problem. You know, in the MEAC and the SWAC, essentially they play in the Celebration Bowl and, uh, you know, the, the, the winners of those two conferences play in the Celebration Bowl and, and that's 
considered the Black College National Championship game, if you will, at least at the Division One level. Uh, but the issue there is there's a revenue uh, loss potentially and then opportunities to play for FCS National Championship that, that are get lost as well. And I think, you know, if, if, speaking of that, if you look at South Carolina State and the situation that they're in, uh, let's do some math here. Uh, it might be time for them to potentially look at maybe the Big South or moving somewhere else because here's the math. Uh, Claflin, which is essentially right across the street, some of those kids share classrooms uh, with, with South Carolina State. They have already made the move to the CIAA. So they, have, they are now part of a conference that's basically Carolinas-based. There's one school up in Maryland, uh, 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 one school up in um, Pennsylvania, in, in Lincoln, and then in Maryland they've got um, uh, Bowie State. Um, but other than that, everybody is largely Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Uh, in the CIAA. So that works out from a travel standpoint. Um, it's a lot more financially feasible. Uh, South Carolina State may be in a situation where they need to look at that. And I would say uh, just from a location standpoint, uh, the Big South would work well for them. You could go up 95 and deal with Hampton. Also, you've got um, um, uh, Campbell, uh, not far up Charles in North Carolina as well. Um, you've got Gardner-Webb, which is in the Charlotte area, about three and a half hours. Uh, so there's a lot more uh, easy bus rides uh, if they go to the Big South, if you will, um, as opposed to staying in the MEAC. And, I, and, and the way we're seeing teams leave, I predict we will, not, we will no longer have a MEAC uh, by 2025. Yeah, it will become what used to be known as like the Big East. Yeah, it, uh, anything but big. Uh, and, again, Charleston Southern is also in that same conference as well, and that's not that far away from Charleston Southern either. And, boy, I tell you, the tickets that they could sell for that venue as well between those two schools. And even the Southern Conference may be another opportunity for these guys. So there are opportunities that they could look at, and they've got the players and, 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 and Buddy Pugh on the football side has done incredible things. The final thing I want to get to you, and I know we're up against it because I've got a tip for about 30 minutes, and uh, that's coming to an end is uh, the news that you actually tweeted out earlier today that we talked about on Tuesday. Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, joins the group from Ole Miss, Mississippi State, to lobby for change of the state flag. It is the only state flag in the country that still has a symbol of the rebel flag involved in it. You also heard from the commissioner uh, who took his stand on that Mississippi State flag. Uh, I'm going to let you kind of take this one over, buddy, and and, and tell us how long is it going to take for this change to happen because I I don't see with those two guys – individually, uh, it, it, it's not going to stay the same, but together, uh, they're quite a powerhouse. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, not only them, but, but you had uh, multiple coaches, uh, not just those two. Obviously, those are the two names uh, that you hear, but you heard of other coaches, uh, not only from those schools, but other schools in the state of Mississippi across multiple sports. Uh, there were probably, I would say, more than uh, – to, to keep the number conservative – there were more than 30 different collegiate sport head coaches from Mississippi State schools uh, in, in, in near the Capitol today uh, to say their piece or at least show support of, of the changing of the flag. Here's the reality. I'm not sure um, that they'll have – I can tell you for a fact, I, they won't have a new flag. I don't think by the time football season rolls around, they may have uh, gotten to the point where they have abolished the current flag, but I don't think they'll have a new one that quickly. And then second piece of that is the whole process is going to take a while. Um, as we all three know on, on here, uh, as we talk, myself, yourself, uh, Richie, and Eugene, uh, and our listeners know, anything involving um, uh, policy 
or legislation or however you want to phrase it, it takes a while. It never happens quickly because people got to argue back and forth and they've got this process on paper and you have to do it this way and you've got to have this public hearing and you've got to allow these people to talk. All of those things are going to still have to happen uh, before they get this thing done. Uh, but they may get to the point to where they at least recommend or vote to uh, take that flag down in lieu of finding another one eventually. Um, so it'll be, I'll be curious to see how quickly they get to that point uh, and if they get to that point. I, I know the reality is, uh, you know, a, a lot of those politicians can say what they want, uh, but here's the reality. Uh, many a times, uh, particularly with a public state school, the highest paid people in that state are many a times those coaches. And so when those kinds of people show up uh, to the legislature, when those types of people show up to the state capitol, uh, those politicians have to listen because that's where a lot of the money is coming from, uh, one way or the other, those individuals funneling that money in uh, and or uh, writing those checks to support those campaigns. So they're going to have to listen to folks like Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach because those are probably, and I haven't looked it up specifically, I know uh, at one point Nick Saban was in Alabama, but chances are Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach are the two highest paid people, the two highest paid state employees in the state of Mississippi. So when those two folks start talking, you have to listen. And as I said on Tuesday, those two, not only were they on the clock, but they were on a fast kicking clock to do something because their players were not going to wait for them to sit back and let things just kind of go away. That era uh, particularly in collegiate athletics, especially at the high major level, that era is over. These kids are empowered. These kids understand they have a platform, and these kids are not going to be afraid to say what they mean and how they feel about something. And the coaches have one or two choices. You either get on board or you try to go recruit a bunch of kids that don't mind you getting on board. And I'll just say it this way. Y'all tell me how many people, how many games that, you're, that they're going to win if they don't want to get on board with guys like Kylan Hill, uh, arguably one of the best running backs in the SEC. If Mike Leach don't want to get on board with that, Mike Leach might be staring at five and seven or four and eight. They struggle enough as it is with the talent that they are able to get now. So you got another wedge in that, man. I tell you, I, I'm thinking you're being generous at five. I'm thinking three. I mean, let's be honest. It is the SEC on a Saturday afternoon, and they travel on the wild, wild western side. Both of those schools do. So it's going to be – Quite an interesting, Will, as always. Uh, getting us not once but twice in one week. We're kind of spoiled. As uh, Reginald Walker, Jr., the former player with Joe Pye and the Nittany Lions, now, of course, here on Southern Sports Center, a huge contributor as well. He is uh, a voice that you hear with Gardner-Webb and UNC Charlotte. And uh, let's do it again next Tuesday, man. I, I do want to look at maybe moving you for an hour and then 30 minutes, by the way, because like Eugene and I talked about yesterday and today, man, there's just so much to cover in 30 minutes. It's, it's a lot. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll see if we can get it figured out. If I can get the work schedule uh, loosened up a little bit, we can, we can try to make that work. So we'll, we'll definitely talk about it. But I tell you what, guys, always enjoy jumping on here with you all, having good conversation, uh, talking about X's and O's and, and, and the Jimmys and the Joes and everything in between. So I appreciate you guys. Y'all stay safe down there. Uh, stay COVID safe. Stay weather safe. Uh, we are in that time of year. I'm not going to say the word, but y'all know what I mean. Uh, so just be careful yeah, down there and uh, – you know, at the very least, we will we will certainly uh, reconvene on Tuesday. And until then, we are. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. The one and only, well, that's Reginald Walker Jr. joins us here all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina. Got to go to a quick small break because when we come back, 
for checking in with the first time, hopefully of many, with Austin Silva. He, of course, is with the Evening Sports page. He just released his all-area teams. He had the Low Country, the PD, the Midlands, and the Upstate. We're going to get his answers of why he chose the athletes he did. And you know what? If you watch as much films as guys like him, well, you might have a few more answers that, out there in the books. Now, we're going to take a quick one. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Southern Sports Central Live here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Young, alongside Eugene Benton. This is Southern Sports Central, 730 here in the Low Country. This segment brought to you by our friends at Gurns Pharmacy, located at 140 South Main Street, downtown Somerville. You can find them on the web at GurnsPharmacy.com. You can call them on the phone at 843-873-2531 for all your pharmaceutical needs. And, of course, the best hot dog in town is located right there in Town Square. Of course, third Thursday, when they finally bring it back, Eugene and I will come to you live there in the uh, bright lights of Somerville, South Carolina. With that, we'll head back to the Kent Farm Hotlines, and we'll now be checking in here with a man who, of course, uh, well, he's gotten a little bit of attention here lately. Austin Sylvie joins us now from the Evening Sports page. What's going on, Austin? How's life in, uh, in your world, my friend? Oh, I'd have to say it's, it's pretty busy. Picked up a little bit here of late, as, you know, you mentioned, you could imagine. Uh, lists, lists are always a good way to generate attention, but sometimes it's not always the uh, the attention you want or the attention you hoped you would get, but it's attention nonetheless. But hopefully it brings attention to the thing I wanted to, and that's the kids that are on it and uh, their abilities on and off the field and just open up conversations with people that maybe I hadn't, hadn't talked to before. But besides that, how are you, man? We're good, man. I do appreciate it, Austin, because you and I, of course, went back and uh, we, we had the conversation uh, through social media about getting you on. And, again, I, I wanted to make sure that you understood, look, I want to give you a voice. I want to give you an opportunity to be heard because that's one thing writing doesn't get, right? It doesn't have an emotion. We say this with social media. You can hit send and there it is, right? Not a whole lot of uh, umps behind it other than a few exclamation points and things like that. But you put a lot of homework into what you do. And, of course, I do Friday Night Football on the radio, and, and you were, we were talking about that with a couple of guys in the last segment. And, and it goes a lot of work for us. You know, we hit up Sunday morning, start looking at the games for Friday, and about five days later, we've got what we need. And guys like you, you know, you make your bread and butter with uh, what you do. And, again, that is watching film after film and being able to separate the team from the individual because that's really what you're looking at. You're not really looking at a team that maybe they won, you know, ten games or maybe they won one game. But you have to find the best athlete that really separated himself in, in that role, Correct. Oh, yeah, it's it's so much. And I know a lot of people or, you know, a lot of kids have expressed, hey, I was, you know, I was first team on this and second team this year. And uh, and a lot of them just kind of ask questions, just kind of want to know, you know, why did I put them where I did? Why didn't I put them on there? And, look, I'm a one-man operation right now, so I, I can't be everywhere. And while I'm, I'm scrolling through all these different schools in South Carolina and trying to, you know, figure out which region some of them are in based on the map I use. And then as I'm watching film, I'm having to make sure, like, when I go through Huddle, 
and this is a problem I ran into a couple of times, not all the schools have updated to the 2020 through 21 rosters on Huddle. So a couple of them, it might say junior, but it's the 2019-20 roster. So I had to be careful. It's like, okay, wait. So he's a senior, not an actual junior right now. Because I'm, I'm doing them by classes because, frankly, South Carolina has a lot, a lot of really, really talented athletes. And that's kind of what the purpose of all this was to begin with when I started doing my own, like, recruiting type evals and stuff back in October, I think, was just, I see all these athletes just up here in the upstate where I'm at and I'm looking at them. I'm like, man, that kid can play. Why, why is he, you know, why have I not heard of him before? And I'll go and look for him on Google, look for him everywhere. And I, I can't find anything on him. So I'm like, well, what's the deal? So I, I try to do as much research as I can talk to the kids, just have conversations and learn like why, why is South Carolina kids so many times being looked over in this process? And why are so many guys that, you know, I, I don't know it all, and I'm not always right, but kids that I think could play at the next level, regardless of what level it is, from Power 5 to JUCO, they can play, and I think they deserve that opportunity. And whatever chance I can give them to get their names out there, get exposure, get any kind of attention around them is the whole purpose behind all of this. And the way I do these lists was, uh, honestly, I haven't – I don't look at stats. i not not as much as most people do. I, I use them more as a, okay, well, he was really good. Well, I'll put him on the list to check him out. Okay, he was productive. But honestly, I scroll through. I find all the juniors I can or that are now rising seniors, obviously. I find all their junior film that I can, anything on Twitter. I find if I can find GPAs, I, I implement that because, frankly, you're not going to get into college or play college ball or – you know, get into that next level without the grades. And that's, you know, it's interviews. I've got to interview a ton of kids over time. I want to know their stories. If their grades aren't where they want them to be or where they need to be, I want to get to know, okay, so what kind of opportunities are you taking advantage of to improve? What are you doing in the classroom? I talk to coaches, get their input about players and their potential, their athleticism, uh, what they think they could be. Uh, just kind of because since I can't be everywhere, coaches have that inside track of, okay, what is he doing? Is he putting in the work he needs to? What is he working on? How is he doing? Like, so I, I put a ton of stuff into this, and I know a lot of people, the way these lists are done are, you know, stats, production, offers, and those kind of – and while I take that into account, those aren't – those don't mean as much to my list personally just as what I see on film – uh, players I've talked to, getting to know them, the coaches I've talked to, their grades, personal, what I think they could be based on what the film shows. It's just a, it's an all-encompassing type thing, and that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it my opinion, but I try to be as informed as possible to help promote these kids the way I think they should be promoted. No doubt about it. We're live right now. Austin Silva, he is with the Evening Sports page, checking in with us here on Southern Sports Central, the first of many here with us as we cover the great state of South Carolina. We also cover uh, a lot of schools across the country, but here in Somerville, uh, you know, the uh, the first team was released by uh, Austin and, of course, the guys over there at the Evening Sports page. Uh, you had Adonis Davis, the uh, young quarterback from Blackfield Hilda. Well, what about him? Uh, can we talk about that? Because, again, I know we do have a lot of low country listeners and I'm sure some kids around the state are also interested in, you know, how you pick these guys. So let's take him. You look at his record again, 
does it really and I have my answer, but I want to hear your side does it does it really mean because he's a kid who has maybe one or two wins comparatively to a kid that has maybe eight wins and two losses? Does it make him a, a, a better quarterback or, or maybe he's just a, a victim of the surrounding that doesn't have that supporting staff unlike the kids who went eight and two but is a good quarterback but really has some great wide receivers and some good running backs around him yeah and that that stuff, honestly, a lot of these teams I've looked at, I have no idea what their records were. Now, in the upstate, I do just because I, you know, I live up here, so I know a little bit more about the teams. But when I get even into the Midlands, PD, well, I know in low country, I know about these teams, but I don't necessarily know what all their records were or what they have. I just, I'm strictly going to, okay, this kid's a junior and rising senior, so he's 20-21. I, I look at the film and I, I go off what that is and, Adonis Davis is just a name that popped up on my radar probably December-ish, I want to think, is when I remember hearing his name for the first time. So just going back, and I'm trying to trying to remember exactly what I, I remember saying. Just, I've watched way too much film lately. He's just – Sure. He was old, He's dynamic to me. He, he just mm-hmm. – he does a lot. No, it may not be the best team that he's on, but the thing I've learned about high school – like, I do a lot of – NFL draft stuff too as well, which is kind of why I started doing this side of things for high school is just because it's my my forte. But what I've learned about high school is there's just there's a lot of teams that aren't funded the same. The the participation is just different. Like there's a school up here where most kids in high school are working on the farm or they're going into plants and they have to stay at home to help you know, help things around the house, don't have time for sports. And so the, you know, the participation is not the same. So you may not have the same level of athlete at one school all the way around to be able to, you know, be as successful as your talent should allow you to be. Whereas in college, you're being recruited there. The teams are being built differently. And of course, in the NFL, the talent is so compressed that it's it's hard to find somebody that can't play. But just when I, when I watch him, he's just, he's got, Obviously, the dual threat capability, he's a good runner, sees the field. And he's just – he's one of the guys that stuck out first thing, watching quarterbacks. And that's that's one of the tougher positions to really break apart because of the thing you said is, you know, how good are the skill position guys around him and all that stuff. And then you have to go and watch all their film. And yeah, that's why I try to talk to as many coaches as I can and – just kind of learn who they are as people, how they're coaching, how they're molding these guys, how they're trying to help them, and just trying to learn as much as I can about each school player coach that I can to formulate the best opinion. But I I just know he's one of the guys that's been on my radar for a long time. And just watching his film alone, I, I think he has all the capabilities to be a great quarterback. He puts a lot of zip on the ball, which is something I, I love. I love good velocity. And just little things like that is why he he stuck out to me. Yeah, and I agree with you. We're live right now with Austin Silva. He is with the Eden Sports page. He put out multiple, uh, I would say, players to watch in uh, the low country, the Midlands, the upstate, and the PD area. And, and I did nail that quarterback position because I think – Honestly, looking at a quarterback is a little different than any of the other positions because if you give the ball to the running back, well, he kind of puts on a show himself, right? I mean, that's what he does. And if he's good, he gets loose. If he's not as good, 
Well, it, it, it's seen right there. Now, not saying that the offensive line doesn't play a big role, but the quarterback has to rely on a receiver that can actually catch the ball and not catch it off his shoulder blades or, or something of that effect. So, to me, the quarterback is one of the harder positions for a guy like you. I don't do what you do. That's why I bring a guy like you in here, man. You're, you're a specialist in what you do. And, and, again, I appreciate you giving us the time to kind of explain who you are and, and what you do. And, and I do want you to talk a little bit about the Evening Sports page before we get you out of here. But news came out today about uh, the new COVID, uh, I guess, conversation with the high school league here in the state of South Carolina. And as you saw, upstate, they're shutting it down. What do you think that means as far as playing field goes? Now, because if the upstate's no longer working out, but here we go in the lower state, these guys are going to continue to work. The Grand Strand's going to continue to work. And it reminds me a lot of last year with the hurricane where – Charleston County and, and Dorchester County wasn't allowed to play their games, but yet everybody else in the state continued to play. Uh, your thoughts when you have half the state up and the other half down when it comes to the 2020 season that hopefully is going to happen this year? Yeah, and I'm I'm still trying to read through all that and process exactly what they even mean by what's been really – I wasn't – I understood both – sides of the argument where they were putting it on districts to make decisions and things like that and you know coming back at different times just based on hot zones or who you know one district may not be having as much trouble while one may be and obviously I've just read you know of course like the green you said Greenville County they're suspending all academic or not a academic recovery camps and all athletic team functions anything like that at least until July 20th which like you said it's the the rest of the state is fine and they're working out then you know obviously there's an advantage but of course you know greenville county schools are mostly going to be playing greenville county schools except for you know a couple of out of out of region out of conference games but at the same time you want those kids to be in shape when and if the season starts in the same way that everybody else is so that you know there's not as many injuries or because if you're not getting that work in you're not building up your muscles you're not getting back into that working shape I, I I don't even know what to think about it right now and trying to predict if there's a season or not. I'm I'm going to work under the operating assumption that there is a season until I'm told firmly there is not. But, yeah, the I, I wish it would have just been a, a, a solid, this is what the state's doing and this is how we're going to, we're going to do it, regardless if one district's hot or not. Because I think it's just too many, too many separate things going on and too much can change and it's it's putting the the operating power in too many people's hands where the place that's supposed to have the power that's where it should be and in my personal point of view is just I, I think it should be one firm one firm thing across the board if 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 it benefits one district and doesn't benefit the other it is what it is but I I don't know. It's a lot to process. I'm still trying to read through everything and figure out exactly what one and a half means and all all that good stuff. But I think this could have been more prevented from the beginning had they had the people in power just put out a a flat out all inclusive. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it versus letting everybody else try and play chief. Hey, man, this is uh, Coach Eugene here. I, you know, you mentioned something earlier, and I'm going to put it out there and kind of put you on the spot since you've been that guy and you're, 
you know, your faces uh, or, or Twitter handles and all that's been on the media. Uh, so you mentioned, and most high school coaches, most media guys, most people who are running social media platforms in South Carolina mentioned that the South Carolina kids seem to be looked over. You know, because we have Georgia next door, there's there, there's Florida to the south, and it's only you know you could take a three and a half hour drive just from Charleston and get to Jacksonville. Um, so, if if you inside of South Carolina, uh, there are a lot of people who think the talent in the Low Country, you know, everything from you know I guess Orangeburg down you know to the coast. I know there's been some hits in, in, in Myrtle Beach a little bit here and there and Beaufort, but. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like the low country itself gets looked over in recruiting. Uh, do you agree with that? And if so, why? Or, or, you know, what are your kind of the within the borders of South Carolina recruiting? It seems like the kids from, um, you know, the Greenville, Spartanburg, you know, area and uh, Rock Hill seem to dominate when it comes to, uh, you know, especially the top end D1 offers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair, and I'll, I'll also be completely transparent and honest, like I try to be. Is low country is a, an area that I'm all, still trying to get more affirmed and, you know, trying to learn more about. Obviously, I grew up and uh, graduated from Conway High 10 years ago, so I'm, I'm familiar with the PD area just from growing up there. And then I've lived up here in the upstate for about seven or eight years now. So, But really, I just started getting back into the high school football you know, hard learning everybody, learning all the teams and all that stuff probably about a year or two ago. So I'm honestly, I'm still trying to catch up and, you know, figure out why, why things are the way they are. And people in Greenville County, all the coaches and trainers and people I've talked to, they feel like they've been overlooked for a long time. And then I've gone back and looked at old, you know, like two, four, seven rankings, just trying to see, you know, who some of the top recruits were. And then I'll go back and look at guys who I thought performed well that I knew were from the state and couldn't find their names anywhere. And that, that's from all over. But I mean, Frank, the whole state, frankly, has been passed over. But yeah, there's there's plenty of talent in the Low Country. And as I'm studying these guys now, even the 2020, 2021 guys, uh, I'm watching the film and you see the potential there. And look, a, a lot of those guys I don't know. You know, their backstories. I don't know what the grades are like for everybody. I don't know what certain things may be holding them back, but that's why I try to ask as many questions and get to know them, like, as good as possible, like I do some of the guys up here that I have easier access to. What exactly is it about South Carolina athletes that has been so I, – I, I, I don't want to use the wrong word. I don't know, so, like, repulsive almost that – they're just kind of not being, you know, pushed to the back. Like you said, we are right next door to Georgia, which is a recruiting hotbed. North Carolina's actually pretty hot in a lot of areas as well. And then Florida's just below Georgia. So you're kind of encompassed by all these really, really hot states for recruiting. It's like, so what's wrong with South Carolina? And I think something, it's starting to shift. And the more, you know, the more I, you know, get ingrained and learn and, you know, listen, I think it is starting to shift. And I think a big part of that, honestly, is the training, is the fact that kids are actually, they have outlets to go to in the off season to get better at their craft, to work on it, stay in football shape, stay in a football mentality. And that's not something I think that's always been available, at least not regionally, not here. And we're, you're seeing more seven-on-seven seven teams, more just general training from guys who are even coaches that are coaching multiple players from multiple teams, even from rival teams. But they're investing in the kids 
and the kids are keeping in football shape and keeping in that football mentality and they're working at it and they're being promoted better by media outlets, by the trainers, by the coaches. But I think yeah. I think things are starting to shift, but that's that was kind of the main reason I got into doing this is to help just give another platform to get these kids the exposure that they deserve. And, and and to follow up on that, one of the things when I've been talking to coaches and, and people around this, the, especially in the low country and even up into the Midlands a little bit, was that, you know, the national recruiting services, the, the rivals, the 24-7, when they host these mega camps and give these kids, you know, they earn these four-star ratings, they're hosted in Charlotte and Atlanta. You know, the Charlotte, that bodes well for the Rock Hill kids. And the kids up in Greenville can hop on, uh, I think it's 85, and just get over there. You know, the kids down in Hilton Head, yep. Charleston, and, and whatnot, you know, it's harder, especially the kids that can't afford rotation to get up there for these camps. But then the other thing that I'm hearing, too, especially from the low country kids, is something you've touched on a good bit, and that's the grades and the ACT, SAT scores. You know, it's about, you know, there was a kid that uh, I, I was in the high school coaching ranks that, uh, for the last three years, and uh played against a kid in Barnwell High School uh, for the lower state championship, and this kid just dominated the field. You know, his name was Deshaun Watson, which we all know the Deshaun Watson, but, you know, and and, and I was part of a, an SEC coach that just said, man, I would love to have him, but I just couldn't, I couldn't offer him. I couldn't even get him on a visit because of the grades, but he was dominating everybody he played against, and that's just something I hear, especially in the rural areas. It's just real tough to get these kids to, you know, to uh, be accepted or even to qualify to even get an official visit when it comes to the NCAA guidelines. Now, this year, there might be a little shift in that because they're going to waive a couple things we hear, but uh, that seems to be the overarching thing is that, you know, for the kids that can't get to these big regional combines and compete and showcase their talents against the national elite, and then again, you know, the great issue. That seems to be a big bugaboo for a lot of the kids in the state. Yeah, and as far as grades go, there's I really don't know how to like, you know, how to how how can I help them in that term? I'm obviously I, I don't know how to, you know, promote that. It's just you know tell them just study, do as much learning as you can, find somebody that's willing to help. But you know, like on that front, I I just try to point my finger in the right direction as far as that goes. And then as far as the rivals and all those camps go, yeah, I can attest I made that trip down to Charleston only, I think, two or three times in the past couple of years. That That is a haul just from easily Greenville area to Charleston. And then, of course, when you try to get go to Charlotte and you have to cut through Columbia, which is always a, a crapshoot depending on traffic. And then Getting to Atlanta from Charleston, I've never tried that, but I can't imagine that's much easier, or if it's probably not easier at all. But yeah, it, as far as all that goes, that that I'm sure that does play a big part. Uh, that that's why I think this training, the training that's picking up, the seven on sevens, the the, the local outlets that have a voice promoting these kids. Obviously, technology is advanced and it's helping a lot in what we're able to do and it's just doing what we can to put their names on a pedestal put their names out there and that's that's been a part somewhat also with with these lists it's guys that may not have the stats yet or maybe they may not have what some other guys you know have already accomplished and achieved 
but they have more to benefit from being on the list. Just if, if one person looks over it and says, I've heard of all these guys. I haven't heard of him, but he's on here. All right, let's go check him out. And that's, that's a chance for that kid to get one more, you know, one more bit of exposure than maybe he would have gotten before. And that could be his chance to, you know, get seen, at least get put on a board or something. But no, I, I definitely understand that point, and that's why I think people, the local media, the coaches, the trainers, the more people's voices that are out there for these kids is that much more important because of these traveling, not necessarily restrictions, but, you know, issues with being able to get out to all these things. And now, obviously, with COVID, there are no camps. There are no, you know, official visits, anything like that. So it's it's even more important that we – we help be the voice for some of these guys. Yeah, no doubt. And and that's the thing is, if we can get these kids out there and promote it, I think that, you know, creates a brand for them. Because as you see in the big areas and, and a lot of the big schools that compete for state championships in year in, year out, you know, I'm sure being in state, you follow Dutch Fork and, and, and Burns and some of the top programs like Dorman you know, that constantly put out these uh, D1 kids. I mean, it, it, even being from Conway, you know, for years, there was always this elite kid from Conway. And, um, you know, it's just like when, when you come down to the Charleston area, the low country, and even Orangeburg, stuff like that, you know, they're, they're very good programs with very good coaches steeped in history. And it just seems like these kids have just been passed over. You know, it might be a, a downtick in athletes. It might be a factor of just like Atlanta. Atlanta picked up huge in recruiting because there are so many kids that just moved into the area for jobs, you know, parents relocated and things like that, same as the upstate in South Carolina. But you got to wonder, I mean, you know, the upstate hasn't won, you know, a ton of championships. Neither has the lower state, um, you know, especially when you talk about 5A ball because it's been, you know, last year Saluda can be considered mid-state for, for the – 2A area and, and Dutch Fork in the 5A, but it just seems like uh, you know there's certain areas of the state that just seems to be blank when it comes to you know D1 recruits, even though they win a ton, uh, ton of games or, or produce good athletes. So it's kind of a factor of you know you know I've seen you know social media things like the state of Georgia or, or their league has a recruit Georgia uh, Twitter page and things like that. You know I really think that South Carolina has some work to do uh, to get up on the you know, that level of promoting these kids. And I think that's what you're alluding to is, you know, we just got to get a creative platform to get these kids the exposure, kind of create their brand and get them out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the talent in this state, like I, I haven't followed it, like I said, you know, for a few years until about a year or two ago. But, I mean, there's kids like one from a school up here that I, I looked at him and I automatically thought that's, that's an Adam Thielen clone just about. I mean, he could play D1 right now. He's, he's ready to go. But he, he's going down to a – and it's fine, an FCS school. But it's like the guys like – there's tons of other guys just like that, guys that I think are D1 capable, D1 level. I've asked. They have the grades. They have everything. But, yet they're still they're, – they're not getting looks. They're not getting offers. And – it's, I think the media plays a, a big part in that just because we we have a platform that they don't know how to create for themselves. Spamming a, a coach's Twitter, uh, every post he posts and posting your film on it, he may look at it one day if if he does, but 
you know, just from people and connections I have, coaches don't – they're not scrolling through that looking for the next diamond in the rough. They're, that's not what they do. And a lot of coaches don't even do the recruiting. A lot of coaches have guys that go out and look, and, you know, some coaches they focus on the, the main crop of guys on their board that they're really after, and they go see them. But even now that you can't go see, you know, there's no face-to-face interactions through August 31st just released today. Uh, you know, that it makes it that much harder for these kids that are kind of, you know, left behind that this would have been the year maybe to put themselves on the map, and now you're even struggling to know if there's going to be a season. You don't have those chances to go to these summer camps where coaches evaluate and find diamonds in the rough. You don't have the chance to go to junior days and all this kind of stuff. So it it just becomes that much more important, and I feel it like that calling and that burden on me. Like I have a platform. What can I do? How can I do it? What are the multiple ways I can do it to help put these names out there? And even if it just it helps only one kid and he gets just one look, but it's it it leads to you know a potential scholarship offer, even a walk on offer, just a chance to extend his education and playing career. Then I feel like I've I've done. I've done my job. It's not what I all I wanted it to do, but I I help, and that's that's all I want to do is just try and provide a platform for kids to get their names out there. Because, like you said, this this state produces good athletes. We watch them all the time, and it's just we I can't figure out for the life of me why so many just get passed over and get passed over. And then, like you said, Georgia has a recruit Georgia page, and I've seen it in Alabama. I've seen it in Florida, and there, there's one state that consistently comes up that I can't find it, and that's that's South Carolina. But I, I think I think it's starting to shift in a way, and people are really starting to help push these kids. And it, it's going to take that, I think, especially now in a time where everything recruiting-wise is going to be technological, is going to be media-related because there's no in-face or in-person contact. So now is the time to really help push those kids into a, a chance to – be seen. No doubt about it. We're live right now with Austin Sylvie. Of course, he uh, does an incredible job breaking it down. And, and I think you, Eugene, myself, and we're very fortunate to have a lot of great guys and girls that come on here. And, you know, it was a 24-7 avenue that said, hey, listen, don't worry about the state of South Carolina and the ta- class of 2021 because they're not there. Well, that's wrong because they're loaded. We're loaded from the lower state to the upper state and every high school in between, and you, myself, of course, uh, Richie Altman over here at Southern Sports Center, and you guys uh, with you, Austin, over at the Evening Sports page, uh, you know, we'll work together to do what we do. You guys write it out, we'll talk it out, and we'll work together to, to promote it all out because we're all in the same boat, right? I mean, and well, we might not be in the same boat, but we're definitely going in the same direction, and, and our goal is the same, and that's to educate our young athletes, but also to get these kids in the forefront, to get them in front of the lights and in front of the people they need to get. So I want to open the opportunity. By the way, I'm originally from Myrtle Beach. Uh, I grew up in Surfside. I went to Sacagawea High School. So I don't hold it against you that you went to Conway. That's all right. That happened. Things, hey, hey, I, I grew up sometimes. in Forestbrook, but I, I moved in middle school. I was going to be a Sacagawea <laughs> grad, but we moved my halfway through my middle school year. <laughs> No, you must have been there before before they had uh, – well, now there's – you know, of course you got Carolina Force up there, man. But I graduated back in 97. So, you know, Josh Rush and Timmy Whitaker, those kids there, we all grew up together, Jason Bellamy and, and a bunch of those guys that, of course, uh, on that side of the world. But we all played Legion ball post-111 up there with uh, Coach Causey. I don't know if you, you're, you're the base, you know baseball as well. 
But uh, Coach Causey, of course, passed away recently. But uh, I got to play in that Conway post-111 team. But uh, I didn't know that. I, somebody told me you were from Myrtle Beach, and I looked up, and I thought I thought I saw somewhere else. And so, you know, I'll definitely help you, man. You know, we, that's what we do for Maury County, man. We stick together. But anything I can do for you, brother, the opportunity is here. The open door, of course, is here. And a matter of fact, coming up after you, I've got Ted Willard, who played uh, at uh, a school called Lures. You and I know where Lures High School is over there, the Lions. And then he went to Clemson, oh, yeah. went to Tennessee Titans. Now he's a, uh, a pit crew guy, right, for Chip Canassi. So he's going to come in here next. So it's going to be in Horry County uh, segment for the rest of the way out from uh, 730 to 9 o'clock. It's going to be pretty neat, man. Hey, we've we got to represent somehow. <laughs> well, man, thank you so much for getting in. I know you caught a lot of heat, and, and I got to sit back with some popcorn and, and enjoy the, the world of social media. Uh, every once in a while it does show up. But uh, you did a good job, man. Again, you don't know the low country as well, and you admitted that just now, and I think that's okay. I tell people all the time, it's okay to admit when you don't know something, man. And, and again, if we can help you or I can, you know, send Eugene to go help you scout some kids out because he has a little bit more free time than I do, you know, just let us know. We'd love to be a part of it. We'd love to help you guys go look at whoever you're looking at. And, again, you can't be everywhere at once, man. And trust me, I know as much as anybody, it's hard to do what you do when it's just you. I'm very fortunate to have a handful of guys and girls that help me now, but I've been where you've been, and it's a very hard job to do. So I lend my hand and, and, and our ears and hands and all that. Uh, if you need us, just reach out, buddy. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity. And, of course, I extend the same offer to you. If you ever need anything in, in the upstate, I'm, I'm here. Gotcha. I do want to catch you up with the Blitz, those guys in the upstate, those guys that hand out those belts. I think that would be a good avenue for you to start with those guys. Mr. Brown does a great job up there, but – um, real quick before I get you out, because we are up against the clock a little bit behind, uh, how do these guys find you on social media? How do they reach out to you? And what do they need to do to help get their name and, of course, in your article? Well, basically, Twitter, it's at E-S-P-I-N-S-C, E-S-P-N-S-C, and then, of course, Instagram, Facebook, it's at V-E-S-P-N-S-C, and uh, obviously, EveningSportsPage.com. If you're a recruit, you just want to be put you know, on, on the profile page, get a profile built. Uh, I have a page on there. You just go to the South Carolina High School Football Recruiting page. There's a form to fill out where you can hit me up on Twitter, direct message. It doesn't matter. If you if you are class of 2021 through 24, who's I'm looking at right now, just let me know that you are, and I'll put you on the list because I'm trying to help any and every athlete here. So definitely feel free to reach out at any time, any questions. I, I'm here for you. All right, buddy. Enjoy it, man. Hopefully the weather's good to you. If not, you can always come down to Low Country for the weekend. I'll catch up with you off the air, Austin. Thank you very much for all you do, man. Stay safe and God bless. Appreciate it, man. Always a pleasure. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. How about that, man? We got the man to come in to explain exactly how it's done. So the, the recipe has uh, been released. You just have to go to work. So when I tell you this, and I got to go to break because I can tell you uh, I don't like to keep the big man waiting. He's a little bit bigger than me, so i got to get him on the radio here in a minute. But uh, if you didn't make the list, shouldn't it motivate you to get on the list? I mean, some of the best – I don't want to use the word payback, but some of the best medicine here is to be what somebody said you're not. And he's not saying you're not. He's just saying, my God, how many kids are there in the state? It's hard for – again, until you've done the job that he does and the job that we do, just like the job that you do, you know, it, it's hard to understand it, but I will say this. He will continue to come on here. He'll continue to help us out. We'll educate you. We'll, of course, uh, promote you. If you're a young athlete here in the state of South Carolina, we're going to all do it right here on Southern Sports Central. I want to thank Austin 
and his crew over there for what they do. Guys, quick break, come back. We're heading to, I believe, maybe the Grand Strand as we head to, to Loris. If that's where he's at, he might be in Charlotte, by the way, because he is a NASCAR guy, and that's usually where those cats live uh, during the season. So we'll head to a quick one. We'll come back. Hour three is now. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Yellman. This is Southern Sports Central coming to you live from the Factory Sports and Fitness Training Studios. This segment brought to you by our friends at Simmons Barbershop, located at 139 North Main Street in downtown Somerville. You can reach out to them at 843-873-2861. Now, they're shut down on Sundays and Tuesdays, and they close a little earlier on Saturday. You got to get there before 11, but they are normally open all the other days at about 730. They shut it down about 430, so trust me. It's a conversation that you need to go in there and have an entertaining opportunity all in one, and you'll get your haircut. So with that being said, uh, I'm not sure if this big man's still getting haircuts or not, but I can promise you uh, he's doing some big things around the low country and all the way up to uh, Charlotte and all around. Of course, uh, we are very excited to uh, to bring him in here. And without further ado, I bring in Tig Willard, a former Loris Lion. What's up, big guy? Not much. How's it going, man? How's it going? It's good, man. And so this is second pretty, time pretty much had as you on far the last as, time. What's that? I said, I said pretty much as far as like say haircut. The whole like COVID forced me to kind of learn how to do it. So um, it, it's been it's been a really rough with with my hair. So I kind of wish I was in Somerville. That way I can get go and get my haircut. <laughs> yeah, a lot of barbers are happening, man. I had to give up the fight, man. I went straight shaving it down, man. I, like, you know, it's a lot easier to maintain it. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, again, at 42, man, sometimes you just got to just give, you know, you're, you're hanging on to whatever you got, and then you're like, you know what? It's overrated. It's a lot easier to maintain. You kind of keep moving, uh, and, and you're moving. But before we get into Chip Canassi racing, which that's your home now. That's where you're employed, and you guys are back up yep. and running. NASCAR is making headlines, and, you guys are one of the first yep. sports back out and doing some things. But before we get to there, let's let's tell the story, man. You started off in a small town that I'm familiar with, and, uh, and you kind of heard the interview there with Austin, who we won't hold it against him. He went to Conway High School. And, of course, that's in between <laughs> me growing up in Surfside. <laughs> you growing up in Lourdes, right? I mean, so he's right there in the middle of us. But, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, again, your days at Lourdes, man, you, you know, it's a small town right on the other side, I believe, of Ada, right? And that kind of you go through. Yep. Conway, well, Ader, and then Lures. Well, well, yeah, I mean, kinda, but we're we're more we're more uh, to the beat side of, of like say Conway, uh, more like inland wise. Yeah. Uh, so right. So you 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 have to go up to get to Ainer. Um But yeah, so yeah, so I mean, as far as me, you know, grew up in Lures, South Carolina. Uh, still a PD boy, you know, all of us. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, born and raised there, and uh, went to, went went to Lawrence High. Um, I guess I guess I guess my journey started out. You know, I was a I was a three sport athlete. You know, I did football, wrestling, and track, um, where I was a four time state champion in wrestling, um, and then all American in uh, in a uh, football where I went to Clemson, of course. You know, go Tigers, go Tigers. <laughs> and you uh, just going going there, and I think I spent spent. Four, four years there, I spent the first year under coach Tommy Bowden, 
coaching years under uh, Coach Dabo Sweeney. And uh, I want to say my, my last year at Clemson was 2012, uh, where we ended up beating LSU. So I kind of went out with a bang. <laughs> and then when yeah. I went uh, – un- actually, actually went undrafted to the Tennessee Titans. Um, went there and stayed there two years, played there two years. And, uh, yeah, spent, spent one year in Canada and then uh, got out of there and uh, decided to take a career in law enforcement and actually worked for, with the Mary County Sheriff's Department uh, for about a year. And I figured, you know, that, that wasn't, you know, the job that uh, I actually wanted. You know, it wasn't it was, it was the job for me, uh, you know, just coming out of being, you know, a whole, like, uh, football player like the athlete and then going to that kind of a little bit uh not really not really my my cup of tea um so then i went and joined the national racing experience uh which, which they offered me a job to become a uh professional driver for them uh, so i drove for the national racing experience and mario andrea racing school for about a year or so um then but pretty it's crazy because like on day one of me being there um, I met a guy, and he was like, hey, man, have you, have, you, have you ever thought about being on the pit crew? I was like, no, nah, never really thought about it. He was like, well, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. A gas man can make six figures for for putting gas in the car. And I was like, wow, you talking about <laughs> making six figures for just putting gas in the car? Sure, I can do that, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, like. Every since, every since then, you know, I, I, uh, they got me information on the uh, the NASCAR's uh, diversity program, and ever since then, I've been working with Coach Coach Phil Horton to try to get uh, to where I am now. And uh, probably about five minutes, five months into training, and whatnot, um, uh, I got a call from from Chip National Racing, um, as in want wanting me to do a tryout. And man, I went there and did a good job and uh I didn't hear anything back from anybody so so I I thought I did terrible but um it just turns out the guys forgot to forgot to call me to tell me to come back so um ended up they they pretty much ended up calling me probably about two months later say hey man we've been looking for you you know where uh where are uh, you been at I mean like pretty much ever since then I've been at Chicken National Racing this is my uh fifth season in NASCAR my fourth full season, um, as well as, as my fourth full season at Chip Naturation. Well, we're live right now, of course, uh, with the big man, Teddy Willard. And uh, real quick, man, tell everybody, uh, again, you got to be in great shape to be a pit man. We, we talk a lot about NASCAR on here from time to time. Of course, you guys make an headline. Uh, but, but have you been able to maintain the size that you had at Clemson there? Of course, I'd imagine you guys are still having to, you know, work out, lift weights, and, and, and have – a very intense workout plan because it is very hot down there, of course, very fast, very busy, and you've got to be aware of what's going around you. Well, it's crazy because whenever I was at Clemson, I weighed about uh, 215, 220 because they they wanted me to be more of a cover linebacker. Um, but now I'm around 230, but whenever I was in the NFL, I was around 250. So two, two, 230 right now is kind of my – my normal body weight as in, as in everything. But yeah, we, we work out, we work out Monday through Thursday, you know, and then we have a day off on Friday and then we race Saturday and Sunday. Um, so that's, that's pretty much our weekly schedule. And we do CrossFit, which is more like intense and bar lifting and, 
and everything uh, more based off of like uh, endurance and muscle muscle endurance and everything. Um, but as far as as far as uh, Clemson workouts, I think I think I'm pretty much done with those because man, Coach Bassin, <laughs> you used to put it on. <laughs> you used to put it on. <laughs> Now, of course, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Willard, who played his high school days up there in the PD Grand Strand area at Lourdes, uh, helped put Lourdes on the map, by the way. He was one of the uh, – I know you guys have had athletes, man, but for you, you you, you had, what, 23 major offers there? You could have gone almost anywhere. You had a, a very open opportunity there. But but what was it? You, you, of course, you mentioned you came in in Bowden's final year. You redshirted that year. But what was it about Clemson that, that decided that was your place and who was your top three coming out of Lourdes, your senior year, that t- class of 2008, by the way, very special across the state of South Carolina. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I had, coming out of high school, I had 23 Division One offers. And like you said, I pretty much could have went uh, pretty much anywhere. If I would just show show interest, they probably would have uh, accepted me and tried to get me to come in. Um, but for for me, the reason why I went to Clemson was just the whole, like, uh, environment. And for me, Coach Debo Swain was my recruiting coordinator, so the personality y'all see him with today is the same one that uh, he had with with me, um, going well, trying to recruit me to go to Clemson. So that whole like family atmosphere and everything, and just like just like they believing in me and you know and making me believe in myself that you know I have I have the ability to play there. Um, that that's kind of what led me to go there, as well as I got uh, uh, Clemson ties there. You know my 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 uncle played there. Um, in the mm-hmm. mid to late '80s, um, so you know he, he he's always telling me stories about about himself being there and, and whatnot. So you know that's that's one of the things that like I wanted to kind of uh, experience, just you know the whole like uh, atmosphere of being at Clemson. Now, when you came down to it, Clemson's your choice. Dabo Swinney is your recruiting guy, of course. Yeah, you know, I, I really think he could recruit my grandmother to come play at Clemson. I mean, it was just he has that ability, and he continues to be that way. I mean, these guys, you know, while I am a Gamecock, and you and I have had multiple conversations off the air, we talk a lot about home and things like that, and, and we've built a, a, a solid friendship the last few years here. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about yep. you know, what Dabo Sweeney is, and he's a kid that I would send without doubt my son there, even though I'm a Gamecock, you know, born and yep. bred and went there and had the, the whole experience of the Gamecock. But he is what he is. And, and I was a little shocked in some of the stuff that came out a couple of weeks ago. And you and I talked about this off the air uh, with one of his coaching staff there. Um, you know, we may get into that here in a few because there's uh, about 30, 45 mm-hmm. minutes left. I don't want to spend it on anything that I, I feel like we can educate some of our listeners on you and the experience that you've put together in your testimony but when it came down to your days, and, and so there's Clemson, the front runner. Who were the other two schools that you were looking at? Uh, I was looking at South Carolina and UNC. Uh, so I was looking at the Tar Heel. Well, and I was I was also looking at uh, at uh, Tennessee heavy as well, uh, volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, so those 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 were my 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 top. I guess my top four schools. Um, yeah, <laughs> of course. You know, I, so what, I, I think I think I think Clemson overall. Yeah. So you look at was, so Philip Fulmer was at Tennessee back then, right? And Philip Fulmer was Philip Fulmer yep. there. I'm trying to get the date set. So Philip Fulmer so, was there. Was Mac Mac Brown? Was he at North Carolina? Um, no, Mac. So Mac Brown was 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 getting ready to come to, 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 start, to North Carolina, and Phil Fulmer. Mm-hmm. So 
this is probably part of the reason why I didn't go to uh, Tennessee because that's that's the same area where uh, Phil Phil Foreman had got fired, and mm. I had I had uh, went up there for a uh, visit the year before and uh, met everybody. And um, it's crazy because one of one of the coaches uh, came down and we were we were practicing and he came to watch me practice. And it was like pour, pouring down rain, and, and I'm talking about he didn't he didn't move at all. Like like he watched the, the entire practice in the rain, soaking wet. And you know that's that's kind of thing that that pretty much put uh, Tennessee on my list as a place where I mm-hmm. you know I say I wanted to play it. Now Tennessee, by the way, is getting a huge push to the state of South Carolina. They've got Kenny Solomon from Sockacy High School. Uh, who, uh, you know, is uh, a starting now, he'll be a sophomore. He was starting three freshmen there. Uh, last year as a defensive bad guy towards the safety area. And then Jalen Hyatt, a wide receiver from the Columbia area. Uh, you start to kind of put things in, in, in order there. We're live right now with uh, Dick Willard. He played his high school ball at Dolores Lions. Then he decided to go to Clemson to be a Tiger, where, uh, well, he had a lot of fun there, played with a lot of great athletes uh, that we've had right here on this same show, of course, uh, on many. One of those uh, is uh, Ricky Sapp. Now, Ricky and you, uh, Ricky is a little bit older than you. You and I talked about that. But uh, his yep. teammate in high school uh, came in with you, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, who was it, I guess, once you got to Clemson, you start building relationships. And I can tell you from experience in college, you know, it's a different type of relationship in college than it is as a teammate in the high school. Uh, who was the guy that you kind of got to Clemson and, and you and him kind of, y'all, y'all just meshed well together and you kind of went through the, the, the four years or your years there at Clemson? Well, well, it wasn't for Clemson, as in uh, as in guys or not. It wasn't once one specific guy. But if I had to name uh, once one specific guy, it would be uh, Jerron Brown, who which which played at a uh, Sherrill High School in South Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, who is now playing with uh with a uh, Seattle. Um, but me, he, him, and I were were uh, roommates as well as so it was it was me. Jerron Brown, Andre Ellington, and Brandon Ford, who are uh, Charlotte native. I mean, not, not Charlotte, but Charleston native. And, um, mm-hmm. like, all of us were uh, roommates, so all of us became really, really close really, really fast. And, uh, actually, you know, I, I, I talked I, I talk to these guys, you know, uh, at least a couple times a month, you know, just to check in on them and whatnot. And, um, matter of fact, me and Brandon just got finished talking probably about uh, – a couple hours ago, so um, yeah, mm-hmm. so those are those are pretty much my guys. And so you know, we came in together and and uh, we were uh, roommates, uh, all all the three of us, for four of us. Now, when you go to practice, and we we love having former college athletes in here. We had a Gamecock guy in here, uh, of course, um, Jarrell King uh, was in here with us uh, last week. He was a Gamecock back probably the same time you were at, at, at Clemson, by the way. Um, he talked about stories about being on the offensive line, and the one guy he hated at practice to go against on the other side was Eric Norwood, of course, a linebacker as well, uh, but, but on a different team, right? Uh, but for you, who was that guy that you couldn't wait, man, to just paint, just put on his butt and try to break his ankle and push him off that line? Who, who was on the other <laughs> side during practice that you would go up against? Well, I, 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 can't, I can't say I've, I've ever wanted, wanted to hurt another guy that was that – was, uh, on my team or whatnot, but man, we've had some right, right. some pretty big cats. Uh, you know, uh, Landon Walker, who is also in that card, me was a 
a uh, a, a big cat, but the, the, I would say the most uh, athletic guy that always gave me problems was our center, uh, Dalton Freeman. Um, he he was so athletic that you know whenever I try to make a move on him, you know he would always try to like counter back, and he was always in the way, you know, <laughs> which, which 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 is him you know doing doing like uh, his job, but he was always in my way, and I just I just I just hated it. <laughs> Now, of course, you have some success there at Clemson. Oh, by the way, because it names you in the NFL. You play for this team called the Tennessee Titans. Uh, you say, you know, you go undrafted. And that's okay, because guess what? Undrafted players, they get drafted, still play in the NFL, right? That's kind of a neat thing. Uh, yep. what, was your, what, was the, what was that experience, man? Tell us about the day that, you know, you, you decided I'm going to go in the draft. You don't get the call at the time you thought you were going to get the call. But walk us through the experience of uh, taking it from the college level, which that funnel gets a little bit smaller, heading into the NFL. Mm-hmm. Man, that was probably the most times of my life uh, because, you know, I, I was expected to go third to fourth round, uh, whatnot. So to not to not get a call at all was, was, was really rough. You know, you got, you got family around you, and, you know, family is, like, uh, pretty much expecting you to get a call, and then you don't get a call. And everybody's kind of, like, looking at you like, hey, what's going on? No. I'm um, just like, I don't, I don't know. So, um, so uh, day day three of the draft was, was whenever they had the Lord's the ball go. So what I did was I just went out there and just hung out with, you know, people um, and, just, and just had my phone close um, and just waited all day. I mean, just, just tried to try not to really think about it as much. Um, just waited all day for, for a phone call, and I, I want to say, uh, whenever, whenever the last pick was called, um, and it, I, I realized it, it wasn't me. Probably about two minutes later, I got a call from uh, a Nashville number, and I didn't even answer it. <laughs> I was, I was so, I was so upset that I didn't, I did not answer it. <laughs> so, so probably about. Probably about five minutes later, my 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 uh, agent had called me. He was like, "Hey, uh, you know, the, the the Titans have been trying to trying to reach you. Uh, you know, just just whenever whenever they call you back, uh, just you know, answer the phone and talk to them. And uh, he pretty much told me like the the whole like the whole like I was like, "All right." So whenever so whenever they called me back, you know, he said, um, "You know, this is Mike Mike uh, Mushan, the coach of the, uh, of the uh, Tennessee Titans." And, um, I spoke to him, and you know, he was like, "Hey, you know, is there pretty much?" He was like, was, "Is there any like specific number you want?" And um, just like everything, he's like, "You know, he's excited, excited to have me in." And then he he, he also told me he was like, he was like, you know, we sorry we didn't get to get to uh, draft you, but but we would love we would we, we would love you to come in and show us everything you got. So you know, I, I took I, so I took that as a as a opportunity to. Uh, go in and pretty much show them exactly, you know, what they kind of missed out on in the draft. Um, so, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a rough time, man. Man, it was stressful. As for me, <laughs> well, you know what? You show resistance, of course. You show a lot of character, right? I mean, because again, you know, we've had some guys that have played in the league, and, and the one thing that one of uh, the offensive lineman from uh, the, the other school in South Carolina mentioned, he said, you know, Rich, the one thing that, that I didn't realize is that these guys do their homework as good as anybody. I mean, he found something on me back oh, yeah. in, like, second grade. <laughs> and it wasn't that I did it. It was the question that I was asked if I did it, and I said I didn't do it. And he said, no, you, you did You did do this. And, and he said, oh, 
Oh yeah, I did do that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you, you sort of kind of put it together, and it's it's an interesting conversation, ne- nevertheless. And uh, I, I do want to say, you know, uh, the lessons that you've learned, right? The lessons that you've learned. Uh, what's yep. the one thing? And we're going to change gears because we'll go to a quick commercial, and uh, you know, come back and we'll talk some NASCAR with you as uh, we come out of break. But okay. up to this point, what was what's the one thing you've come from, Lures? You end up going to a big-time school at Clemson. You guys have a ton of great stories there that you've played with some great guys. You've won some big games. Of course, you talk about that trophy I see in your hand as you beat the LSU Tigers by three in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. That was a big one <laughs> later in the career at Clemson. But uh, then you get undrafted, but you get paid, right? I mean, you got paid to play yep. in the NFL. What was the, what was the, the lessons that, that you learned? And, and what's something you could share with a young athlete who's trying to become – at that level, high school, college, in the NFL, and whether it goes draft or not draft, what makes it on the roster? Uh, the, the the lesson that I've I've kind of learned was just to uh, keep pushing, and you know, whenever 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 life gives you apples, make apple juice, because um, pretty much you know, thing, everything isn't gonna happen the way the way you actually plan for it to happen in the way that you want it to happen, but. If you if you have hope and you believe that you can do it, you can achieve it, and you know you you got to put your mind to it, um, and pretty much everything everything you want out of life is still in front of you. I love it, man. As we're live right now with Tay Wheeler, he of course played for the Loris Lions and the PD slash Grand Strand area up there in the Ori County area, and then of course he um, goes to Clemson, goes to the Tennessee Titans. And he's got a lot more to talk about, but we got a break. We're going to change gears. We'll head to NASCAR next. And uh, he's now employed by Chip Canassi. Uh, I believe they're celebrating, what, 30 years in the sport now. And, of course, they don't just do NASCAR. They also do Formula One, and he does a bunch of other things. Of course, Tig's a crew guy in the truck and both car series on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday events. So we'll talk about that and much more as you're listening to Southern Sports Central right here on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. My family and I were suffering with no protection from the hot Carolina sun. I called the Tent Farm and they told me about their line of ceramic window film. Now I have 99.9% protection from harmful UV rays for the ones that matter the most. You don't have to be a math teacher like me for those numbers to make sense. Don't be alarmed. Call the farm. I was driving in extreme Charleston heat. I couldn't take it any longer. I wasn't alarmed. I called the farm. I used to be the victim of bad tent. It was so horrible, I was embarrassed to be seen driving even in my own hometown. I called the tent farm, and they took care of me. I wasn't alarmed. I called the farm. I'm Jonathan Farmer, owner and founder of Tent Farm. Are you a victim of bad tent? Are you suffering from extreme heat? We here at the tent farm want to help you with these horrible conditions. Don't be alarmed. Call the farm. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Richie Elvin, alongside Eugene Benton. I am, of course, uh, coming to you for the final 30 minutes of our Thursday night event. Don't forget, tomorrow night we're going to be live right back here on Southern Sports Central. Blog Talk Radio will be at Gahagan Park for Home Run Derby. It's going to be the 2020 uh, Dorchester County uh, three-way school battle, if you will. Somerville, Ashley Ridge, Fort Dorchester, 14 guys, one baseball field, one trophy in three hours of entertainment. Of course, I'll be there along with Eugene Benton, of course. And we're going to have another young man or, or one of the gentlemen who's a pioneer in the area uh, join us to uh, call the event 
with us tomorrow night. Again, it kicks off at 6 o'clock on the air. First pitch should be around 6.05. So you want to make sure that you hang out with us. And uh, it's the first of hopefully of many. As uh, you know, like I do, the senior season for a lot of these athletes in the spring uh, was cut short. And uh, for the uh, city of Somerville Rex Department to get something together like this, we felt without doubt we want to give them a voice, an opportunity to be heard. And not only is it live when we're on the air, it's going to be recorded. So they can go back and listen to it uh, after it's all said and done. Now, we go back to the hotlines to, of course, the Tent Farm hotlines as we're live with Tig Willard, who joins us. Uh, Tig, where are you hanging out at? Are you in Charlotte right now? Are you back home in North? Where are you at? Um, yeah, uh, I'm currently located in Concord, North Carolina, which is pretty much Charlotte uh, for, the, right. for the most part. Uh, we our our shop is is uh, lo- located here, so we always fly in and out from here. So of course uh, now, for you guys, uh, you know, give you a little a storyline here. Tig now is uh, is a crew member with uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. Chip Ganassi again, not only NASCAR, they also do Formula One, and I think Chip has put his hands on anything that has wheels on it. I mean, quite <laughs> frankly, he's He's, uh, you know, we hear Dale Earnhardt, we hear Penske, you hear yep. all these names, but uh, Chip Ganassi's uh, been one of those pioneers in the industry for quite some time. Uh, and, and again, you know, you come in here, I know Fox Sports did a nice special on you a few years ago, and they replayed it and, and did some stuff with you recently, but being African-American and being in the pit crew, man, it, it's it's definitely uh, here lately with Bubba Wallace, uh, you know, he's had uh, a, a huge movement in NASCAR with the Confederate flag that's now being removed off of all of the grounds of NASCAR, right? And it's a huge move. Uh, yep. Of course, he has the Black ha- uh, Black Lives Matters car that he races around, and I believe there's a picture that we shared with you and him in front of his car uh, and, and all of that. So you've been a part of NASCAR for quite some time, and, and I want you to give us the years that you've been, a, you know, you've been a part of NASCAR, but did you ever see this movement? Again, you and I grew up in Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach Speedways in between us uh, from our hometown, but – I'd be honest, I never thought NASCAR would ever put their foot down and say, this right here, not acceptable. We're going to make changes. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, man, I can, I, like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm literally speechless uh, of like the whole, the whole subject or whatnot, because uh, I never thought that this would actually happen in NASCAR. You know, whenever I first got into the sport, you know, I was told to, you know, um, I will be I will be called the N word, you know, going going into it, or you know that uh, um, whenever whenever I get there, you know, don't go into the infield, you know, go to where I'm I'm supposed to go and then leave, you know, for for NASCAR to actually uh make this this a rule, you know, and say hey, you know, you can't bring those flags in our in our house, um, pretty much is a is a, is a big step in the right direction. Um, for pretty much everybody, and like whenever I, whenever I'm as as a track and I see um, just like like a person of color or whatnot, and I'm and I'm speaking to them, they always you know tell me that you know they was a, a little bit nervous coming in because of the flags and just like the everything going going on or whatnot. So um, hopefully hopefully removing the flags make make everyone feel more comfortable and welcome to come to NASCAR. No doubt. Now, of course, uh, Tig not only is in one series, uh, he's a little selfish. He works all three seasons. Okay, one's not enough for this man who oh, gets yeah. paid billions of dollars to pump gas. Uh, I mean, I, I'm thinking you make a little <laughs> bit more money than the guys in New Jersey. I mean, if I'm in New Jersey and I pump gas because you can't pump your own gas in New Jersey, right? Why the heck am I in New yep, Jersey? Right. Why don't I just get on the NASCAR circuit, man? I mean, and by the way, Eugene, if this doesn't work, man, I, I, I'm going to get a job pumping gas in NASCAR, man. 
I mean, this is all six figures. My man said six, six figures to pump gas. I want to know. I want to know how much those guys. I want to know how much those guys make for changing the tires because they can do four tires in like twelve seconds. How much do they get paid, Tig? Yep. <laughs> oh man, it, it, it just depends on on pretty much where you at and, and how good you are. Uh, some some guys get paid um, in the in the mid two hundreds. I mean, some guys get paid, you know, in the you know sixty grand. You know, so it it, it, it depends on pretty much on how 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 good you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, some most, a, a lot of a lot of them can change tires. Um, roughly in eleven in eleven seconds, roughly. Um, but God. it's crazy because 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 so NASCAR changed the rule on us. So we went from a six man pit crew to a five man pit crew. Whenever we was at a at a uh, six man pit crew, man, we can change tires in like ten eleven seconds um, easily. You know, but yeah, then but no they, they changed. And uh, the uh, rules on us and made us go to um, kind of like push up, push up our our time uh, a second. All right, but you're a big, strong guy. Let me get. Are, are you the dude that's throwing <laughs> all four tires out to the car at one time? I mean, I've seen some of the pit crews. You got to be one of the biggest out there, dude. <laughs> no, so <laughs> well, well, like so. Whenever, so whenever I came into, you know, uh, I was I was told about you know the whole like the uh, gas man thing, but whenever I went to the uh, diversity program, they said, hey, uh, uh-uh, no, nah, come on over here. So um, I learned to be a jack man. So I'm the guy that 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 runs out with like say the jack in front of the car, um, and jack up you know one side, and also now because it's a it's a it's a five man pit crew. I also have to put on the right front tire, and then I oh, yeah. go back to my jack, release the jack, run around, jack the car back up, and now I put on the left rear tire. So now I'm doing double duty. <laughs> well, now I got a question. Yeah, I remember when they talked too, though. Yeah, well, you, you, remember you know, like, with there. college, those guys, those guys practice in college. They practice plays over and over and over again. So you stick of running mm-hmm. the same play. How often do you guys practice changing tires? How often do you practice throwing fuel in that car? You know, and I know there's a guy standing behind you with a stopwatch, and he's grading everybody on that, just like your college coaches did. And then the NFL, the coaches did. How about, you know, give us a rundown of how that practice occurs, you know, with your timing and everything else with the NASCAR. Mm-hmm. So pretty much everything we do is film. And actually right now with like say the whole like say uh COVID thing, our coaches cannot go to the track with us. So it's just it's just us at the track right now. But everything like I said, everything everything we do is film. So my uh my uh, tire changers have a uh a, a GoPro camera and then my few man has a GoPro camera as well. And then we also have a GoPro uh camera that sticks over the whole like say pit box so it, it kinda like it records everybody. Um, but, but with that, um, pretty much, like I said, every, everything, everything from like the number of lug nuts, the changers hit to the tenth of a second, it takes them to get the tire off to the tenth of a second. It takes me to put the tire back on to the tenth second. It takes me to run around the car. Um, everything, I want to say everything, like everything is timed and, um, pretty much we get graded on everything. <laughs> All right. So take us through that. So you're. In high school, and you've been in film sessions. I don't know, Boris, if y'all did it on Saturday or Sunday or 
or Monday mm-hmm. before practice. And then in college, obviously with uh, Coach Sweeney, I, I've been up there and I've been on, you know, part of the campus and, and the football program for days at the time and met with coaches. And I know the film session, those fancy film rooms they have now with the nice leather chairs. <laughs> and Oh, man, they, they were so sweet. Um, but so, so what's the film room like for NASCAR? Talk to us about that. So, so I mean, for for us, it's, it's just a little room. Um, it's, it's not. So we have a a engineer that pretty much uh, diagnoses everything. You know, from you know the time the time the, the car stops to how long it takes our drivers to go down pit road to the time it takes them to stop to the time it takes them to leave pit uh, pit road. So. Uh, with with like our engineers, so the no, so most time we go in uh, a team at a time. So it's number about five or six of us to go in there uh, as a as a as a group. And then while like say one group is in is in film study, the other group is in practice. Um, so we, we normally do that and like say uh, rotate it. And like I say, pretty much everything everything we do is nitpick to the tenth of a second. So it's it, 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 it's it's kinda crazy going then, you know, and like I said, we we're we're always trying to fight for a tenth of a second. Um so it's it's just it's just crazy because like well not not really crazy because you know this is kind of the world that, that I can pretty much live in. Uh, where my my coach like to say it's the world of like a failure because, you know, it's going doing Doing four tires in eleven, twelve seconds, you know, you're gonna fail, you know, once or twice. Uh, but it's pretty much the the way you pretty much pick yourself back up and do the next stop is is, is what's going to count. I got one more for you before I turn you back over to Richie and Eugene again. So, going back to college and, and going into this, still look at your feet. Do you still look to see which one you got planted forward? When, when you see that car enter a pit row and they're coming down, do you ever look down and just see like which one's your go foot, which one you're about to spring off on? Yep. Um, so, so most of the time I jump off of my right foot and I land on my left foot. That way I'm kind of facing the car, and I know so, and I know I got one two, one two steps after I land, and I should be pivoting on my right foot to turn back towards the car to put the jack under the car. And then I know going so whenever I hang my right right front tire, I got I got two steps to get back to the jack, and then I got seven steps to get around the car. Then once I get around the car, I got a hop step to get towards the tire, and then and then and then the tire comes on. Then I got one one lean step to get back to the jack to watch my front changer and my rear changer to make sure they got all of the lug nuts tight and then release the car. So it's, I'm always watching my my steps. Steps are very important. Cause, I mean, like I said, pretty much if if I take a a extra step, you know, that's gonna cost us a tenth of a second. That's impressive, right there. I'm exhausted just by listening to how many steps you took. I don't know if we were line <laughs> dancing or playing football or doing a little NASCAR. Man, either way, man, it's it. it how, I mean, you, Eugene, actually, you know, you and I were talking about this interview earlier. You coming in here, Tig. As uh, we're in here right now live at Tig Wheeler, played his days at Lewis in football, then went to Clemson, then went to Tennessee, headed up to Canada, eh? did some of that stuff uh, in the football world, and then tried that law enforcement yep. thing and said, you know what, I'm going to do NASCAR. It's my thing. I'm going to get paid to pump gas. And, you know, I was almost going to interrupt you and ask <laughs> you if you actually used the jack or you just lifted the car up yourself and, and then went around that way. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you, you know, when, when you look at stuff, 
how much do, do you kind of feel like you're going through some of this stuff on Saturdays and, and, and Friday nights and Sundays? Do you go back and say, man, you know what? A lot of what I've learned, even all the way back to high school with footwork and, and agility and work plans and workouts and things like that, how much have you seen that now play a huge dividend in making you successful in NASCAR? Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, that, that has been a, a big part of my success. Uh, for one, I played linebacker, uh, which, you know, I got to make all, the, all of the calls and whatnot. So being a, a jackman in the pit crew, you're, you're in the middle of everybody. So you're, you're the guy that everyone is relying on you to make the call. Um, so whenever the, the crew chief tells me what all, what, all, what all he needs, I go and tell my crew, then I tell him the way that well, and then I tell him the way that we're going to do the to do the whole like the pit stop. And you know we have we have uh, four or five different ways to do an actual pit pit stop. Um, so I give them the place or whatnot, and then so I'm 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 pretty much pretty much the the, the leader of my group. Um, even though in my group, you no, know, pretty much any not not really anybody, but any of my guys to actually lead. Um, but me, me being 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 the jack man, I pretty much keep everybody on the same uh, play and keep everybody on the same level, or whatnot. So um, that has, you know, being high school and college or whatnot, like all of that has played a big part of me. Um, and just like just like knowing what to do and kind of how to do it, and uh, agility and foot and foot foot footwork, and just pretty much just just keeping my guys in in check um, has been has played a, a huge part in my success. Not hard to do when you're as big as Tig. I mean, if he tells you to jump, you jump. If he tells you to crawl, you crawl. I mean, he says, is that big enough? Now, you <laughs> you, you mentioned that, well, that you well, guys you have know, gone down and – go ahead. So, look, I mean, the crazy thing is, so so my, my gas man is actually Marshall McFadden, who played with the Steelers, uh, Pittsburgh, and the Rams as a linebacker as well. So, you know, wow. you know me, me, he and I always, you know, battling and whatnot, but uh, – <laughs> but uh, you know, hey, I'm still the boss though. So <laughs> <laughs> it all starts with South to you, and, and I tell you, you know, and, and I would imagine, you know, that, that there is a lot of guys who come from athletics from another sport, be it baseball, be it football, be yep. it whatever, because yep. of their work ethics. That's who they go after. They go after those guys, you know, because oh, yeah. they have the conditioning, the mindset. They understand the rigorous, you know, lifestyle. I mean, and again, you guys are oh, never yeah. home. Yeah. NASCAR never ends. It's like you guys have a week off, but then you're having an award ceremony just to get you right back to Speed Week down in Daytona <laughs> like two weeks later, right? Exactly. Exactly. And pretty much like say, everybody, pretty much everybody at Chippewa Racing that is, that is on the pit crews uh, have played some type of sport. Whether it was, uh, we got like for, for instance, on on my five man pit crew, I have me and Marshall and Marshall McFadden who play uh, football pro wise. Um, I have Kiana Houston who played uh, at uh, Catawba, um, and then I got uh, Jared Newsom who played basketball, um, and then I got uh, Matt Matt Samuels who played. Uh, uh, baseball at Gardner Webb, who actually went uh, semi-pro um, at Gardner Webb. So it's man, we have all kind of guys. We we even have a uh, swimmer. <laughs> so you know, we we have guys from all backgrounds of life that you know have you know made this whole this whole journey um, that now want to be in NASCAR. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing that, that is very, very interesting to me, and, and this is something that you and I talked about yesterday during lunch, was uh, 
and, and you don't hear about this now because you, we've heard of Bubba Wallace, and we just introduced you to now Tig Willard, who is an African-American man in NASCAR in the pits. But guess what? Out of five of those guys in the pits with him, four of those are African-American men. Only one of those yep. is a white man. That is the only <laughs> crew, right? You guys are, are, are yep. predominantly right yep. an, an African-American pit crew. And that's not the case in any other pit but what Chip Canassi is doing. And he's been doing this for 30 years. They're celebrating it, I think, this year, right? Uh, yep. Tell us a little bit, man. Exactly. I mean, yep. that's headlines right now, man. You guys were headlines before there were headlines. <laughs> I mean, let's give you some love. I mean, we we, we so pretty much at Chip National Racing, uh, we believe that, you know, the best man is going to go out there and uh, and uh, per- perform for us. You know, we're, we're not going to send uh, anybody to the track that is that is not, you know, that 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 has not beaten out another guy, you know, to take his spot or whatnot. So, um, like I said, we believe in in the best man. The best man wins. So if you win this spot, then hey, you're going to 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 the track. No matter no matter what what uh what a uh, car it is, you know, you're going to the track. Uh, and I mean that's that's pretty much what what uh, happened. Um, my dad, like so we got and my five man pit crew. You know, four of us are. African Americans, and one of us is a uh, is a Caucasian male. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, man, I, I think that to me is something that that it should have been out before now. Because again, you know, the one thing that I talked to you about yesterday was, um, you know, the lady that came out on social media right after they did away with the the Confederate flag, and she said, "My son watched Talladega Nights and has wanted to go to a race for a long time, but." It's like this. She didn't feel comfortable, you know, and, and, and I try to tell, you know, those who may not understand what it would be like for, for them to go through somewhere and see a, something as a flag and it not sit with you well. I think about North Korea, okay? Imagine walking in somewhere and you see a big, huge North Korea flag. You're going to feel a little different. You're going to feel a little different. And, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes you got to take yourself out of a situation to understand the other situation. Right, so for Tig, he's been doing this for a long time okay. now. He grew up right here in the South. He grew up in Myrtle Beach area. Now, you and I know this. Uh, you know, it, it's we're a different breed of people up there in the Grand Strand, man. We love one another. It takes us to work together to make it together. We ran theme parks to to the beach accesses to you name it. But we all kind of did differently. But when we leave that Grand Strand area, man, it's almost a different world out here, right? I mean, you know, but for for oh, yeah, what you you're do. doing at this point, it's 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 huge, man. And and again, I get. You know what Bubba Wallace has been able to do, but but Chip Canassi, man, I, I feel has has been kind of that guy who has uh, quietly said, "Look, I'm not going to do it for the applause. I'm going to do it for the right reason." And here you guys are, or four out of five of you guys are African American men, and I think that to me shows character in Chip Canassi racing. I, I agree. I, I I agree to the fullest. You know, and like you said earlier, you know he has. Several different different teams, though. Know, you know, you know, this is a man that has made billions of dollars. We just got a e racing uh, uh, program where they're racing electric cars. So, like, like I said, he's made billions of dollars. You know, just just racing. You know, and for him to, uh, you know, allow us this this whole opportunity to come to NASCAR. Um, and actually be a be a part of, and actually you know let us prove ourselves um, has been a big deal for us. And it's, it's crazy because 
uh, one of my coaches is, is also um, African American, um, and just 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 pretty much to give him that 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 whole opportunity, you know, to trust him to uh, be a part of your pit crew, you know, has been. I mean, that pretty much pretty much speaks volumes about him. Now, of course, Tig Willard is with Chip Canassi Racing. He's currently, of course, uh, doing great things on Friday nights, Saturday nights, and Sunday nights, sometimes Sunday afternoon. Depends, you know, when it starts there. But, of course, uh, that's where you can find him, what, 10 months out of the year. If he's not changing tires, he's pumping gas. But trust me, he makes a little bit more than the guys in uh, New Jersey to pump gas over there with Chip Canassi <laughs> Racing. Um <laughs> you kind of quickly, and we've got about six minutes here left of the show, but I, but I want to ask you a couple of things. Uh, the one thing, who is your mentor right now? Who's the one guy, and, and do you have that access to Chip Canassi? Does he ever come by and, and, and have a little bit of shop talk with you about what's going on in the world? Uh, well, well, besides, besides my, my uh, coaches and whatnot, uh, they, my, my mentor would be my brother, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy McCullough, who is also a uh, principal down there at the alternative school in, in, uh, in uh, Conway. Um, but whenever, whenever I was at Lawrence, he was, so he played, he played football at George, 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 Southern where he ended up breaking his neck. And, uh, whenever I, I went to, you know, Lawrence, when I just started playing varsity football, he moved back down um, to help to help coach me. And you know, me and him talk about we talk about everything. You know, um, he you know kept me through you know during my my time at Clemson. You know, kept me through during my time at uh, at uh, Nashville, and just you know kind of like show show me the way, and pretty much kept me on the on the on the right path the whole time. So um, that's that's my my biggest mentor. You know, and then. You know, as as far as like say uh, NASCAR wise, you know, the person that I go and talk to the most would be uh, Coach Phil Horton, who was actually who was actually the first uh, African American um, pick crew coach, and he's he's actually the guy that really like really like designed uh, a whole pit stop and made it faster. Um, his name is Phil 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 Horton, and yeah, he's he's one of the guys that I go and talk to mostly about my like NASCAR stuff. Well, I'm going to have to ask you to use my buddy card here with you and see if by chance you can get us on the radio with him because I think that would be an awesome interview and a great storyline because, uh, you know, there's uh, so many great stories and, and so many great, you know, things within the confines of NASCAR or any other sport. You and I have played sports our whole life. And, of course, you know, the things that people only read is just a small smidgen of the reality of what we deal with day in and day out in the world and, of course, uh, man, I, I can't say how proud I am of you enough. I, you and I talked yesterday for quite some time. And, uh, you know, we always kind of start off where we left off. Like, we haven't, you know, missed a beat yet. Yep. And you've always been first class. And I appreciate you, man. And uh, on behalf of all of us, you're representing home in first class, man. I, I tell you, if you can ever – if by chance you can get a chance to come up to Somerville, with, I'd love to put you around some of our athletes to tell them why oh, yeah. you can is because of guys like you. All right, everybody. I would imagine when you said I'm going to go work in NASCAR, they were like, "Not sure if that's what you exactly. want to be." And you, <laughs> you were, I, I had just just quit quit my job and just left, like, <laughs> like just like they, you know, at the, at, the, at the drop of dimes to go work and, work and try to pursue a career in NASCAR. And everybody was like, "What?" Like, yeah. So I, I loved it. It, it. It's something that that I really wanted to do, and I, I had it in my mind. I just had to go out there and, and, and at least try. 
Right. Well, not only are you trying, you're doing, brother, and that's what you do. When you want to be the best, you go out and just do it. You don't wait. You know, I always tell people, if you ever want to really get at somebody, go be their boss. <laughs> and you're doing that day in and day out. And uh, much love to you, man, you and your family. I'm glad you guys are staying safe. Please buckle up, stay safe. You know, uh, I know you guys are wearing a lot of gear uh, on, in the track area, but, of course, outside, I know they're pretty hard on you as well, buddy. But uh, I do appreciate the hour that you gave us tonight and uh, telling everybody. Yes, sir, no problem. And um, we'd love to get you back, man. So uh, we're going to lean on you. We're trying to get you back and seeing if, uh, you know, if you got any of those guys at the pit crew that you work with, tell them we got a microphone ready for them. Just let us know when they got some time. Hey, definitely will. And like I say, I'm I'm pretty sure them guys, them guys will like to actually actually love to actually be on. So just let me know, and I will definitely get everybody on. We'll do it. We'll do all five of you guys. How about that? We'll make it a whole NASCAR night. So we'll, we'll do something with it, buddy. Much love to you, man. Yeah, we appreciate works. you. God bless you. Take care. Be safe. And until uh, next time, we'll see you soon. Sir, appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. Always a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, like that, he checks in, he checks out. And the checkered flag is now hit Southern Sports Central with about three minutes to go. And the big man, Tig Willard, comes in here to hang out with us and talk a little NASCAR. I mean, trust and believe me, if you were to ask Tig his days at Lord High School that and you told him, I got a future and I, and, or I've got a vision, and it says that you're going to be a NASCAR in 2020, he would have probably laughed at you. Uh, but uh, those who laugh last laugh the hardest, and he's laughing all the way to the million-dollar gas tank. So uh, check that out. Uh, Eugene, I'll bring you back in, man. we got about two minutes left here. Uh, you know, I do want to thank all of our guests here tonight that came in here. Of course, we started off with the commissioner. Uh, Dave Williams joined us uh, to start the show. Uh, always fun to have him in here. Of course, Reginald Walker joined us, uh, as uh, he usually does on Tuesdays, but there's just been so much going on uh, that we had to kind of uh, open up the opportunities for him to get back. And then Austin Sylvie with, of course, um, the, the group over there at the evening uh, sports page joined us. And then finally wrapping it up is uh, Tig Willard. He's with Chip Canassi Racing, but he played football with the Tigers and Clemson. He played with the Tennessee Titans. He played a little Canadian football and he also played high school football up there between the Grand Strand and the PD area at Lourdes. So uh, don't tell anybody you can't do it because I'm the kind of guy that likes to tell you why I can do it. I'm not really – no's not an answer. It's an opportunity to find another direction to get to where I got to go. So, uh, unfortunately, we're done tonight. We'll be back live tomorrow night and uh, 6 o'clock airtime. Friday night special, baby. We're heading to the Diamond. 14 ball players, three high schools. One baseball field and one trophy, and at the end of it all, we'll have a home run derby king, and uh, it will be brought to you live right here on Southern Sports Central between Somerville, Fort Dorchester, and Ashley Ridge. Eugene, get some rest, buddy. We're going to have you running around interviewing ballplayers tomorrow night on the baseball field. I'm excited and ready to go, man. Actually, uh, I'm bringing my bat with me. Maybe they'll uh, let me take a swing <laughs> or two. That's awesome, man. Please bring a helmet, Eugene. I'm going to need you to bring your helmet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> guys, it's always a blast. We do appreciate our sponsors: the factory, the tent farm, Somerville Signs, Gurren's Pharmacy, and Simmons Barbershop. On behalf of all of them, to all of us, we ask that you stay socially distanced. We ask that you wear your mask, and we do really can't emphasize enough, guys. Do be and go out and create a better environment today than you saw, of course, uh, well tomorrow for today. So, on behalf of all of us at Southern Sports Central, we say, take care. God bless. And until tomorrow night, we'll be back live at 6 o'clock. We'll see you then. New Valley, you ain't been up off that porch now. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing.
Boy, I had from Gucci, Ranger. 